0: This is this is definitely the biggest event, uh, the biggest crypto event of 2022. Maybe the I would biggest say ever, uh, right?
1: Other than the the genesis block of Ethereum itself, this is the most significant event since that.
0: And so this is now now we've got uh, bullish David back. I think for <laughs> for, for the plus moment, one talking to the bullish the side, we got three for the bear, we got one for the bull. Hey, Bankless Nation! Happy third week of March, David. What time is it? Uh, it's the Friday Bankless
1: Weekly Roll-Up Time, Ryan, where we cover the entire news that happened in the last week in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, and this week is no exception. Uh, and this one is a little bit different this week, I'd say, just because, you yeah, know it feels like uh, Merge Week, Ryan. I don't know why it, it feels, feels like
0: Merge Week, but it does. Merge Week? Okay, that's the Ethereum Merge you're talking about. Yeah. It's funny because that's still months away, months but suddenly... Away. It was like everyone was talking about the merge again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Including people, us. People, It was
1: us. Yeah, Guilty. Guilty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people have decided that the next thing to focus on is the merge. Who knows? We, we have like three plus months until the merge actually comes. So, you know, maybe this is just one week and then the, the topic of next week will be a different topic. But this week, the
0: topic of crypto Twitter was definitely the merge. Yes, we're going to talk about that Ethereum Merge Week. Also, the biggest NFT M&A deal ever. Yeah. Apes buy punks. I'm going to talk, I'm going to interview a punk holder and see uh, how he feels about that one on today's episode. Sure. Talking about know, you, David. Who are going to interview? <laughs> oh, me? All right. And then they released a coin too. So I don't know what that means. We're going to talk about the ape coin as well. Zuckerberg, that's Mark Zuckerberg, also said, NFTs are coming to Instagram. Big surprise. Not really. We knew Uh-oh. he was going to do it. How is he going to do it? We'll talk about that later. Also, Stripe, the payment platform, fintech platform, jumping into crypto Huge. with both feet. Huge. Yeah, I think this is hugely underrated and probably mm. the biggest thing that happened this week. And uh, we'll have to talk about that too. Uh, David, before we get in, we should talk about our friends at Zerion. Guys, I've loved Zerion since it launched. This is the way a bank user interface should be, except banks can't pull it off. Because banks are not connected to decentralized finance. Uh, You can bring your own assets to Zerion. You cannot bring them to your Wells Fargo bank account. And this is what it looks like david they've just added a whole bunch of multi-chain features some bridging features uh tell them what's going on in zirion these days oh yeah especially as we get into this layer
1: two world which we have plenty to talk about this week in the weekly roll-up it's going to require infrastructure to help manage your assets not not just the many many more assets that you have in your ethereum wallet versus what you have in your bank but also in the many, many more chains that you uh, engage with, much more than just the Ethereum L1. Uh, So not only is the Ethereum L1 obviously available, but all of the Ethereum layer twos like Arbitrum and Optimism, and also the alternative EVM compatible layer ones like Avalanche and uh, the other ones. (laughs) And so depending on whatever chain that you are on or whatever asset that you prefer, Xerion's the place for you to go and manage all of your crypto finance—it's uh, just you know things that your bank could never do.
0: Zerion does for you. Really cool too, as well being able to bridge from one chain to another. If you want to go to ETH to Polygon in a hurry, you can do that in uh, Zerion. You can also view all of your NFTs. Mm. Lots of cool stuff going on in Zerion. So guys, check that out. There is a link in the show notes where you can connect your wallet to Zurion and get started. All right, David. This couldn't be your wallet, Ryan. You, that's way too sophisticated NFTs this, for you. Oh, this is sophisticated, huh? <laughs> yeah. These are really good. No, this is not my wallet, by the way. This is a demo wallet. Uh, but uh, yeah, maybe we'll get to some of my NFTs a little bit later. Yeah. You noticed a little something behind me today? That's just a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've noticed that it's a great looking cat. It's got a little bit more shine than my punk,
0: and I'm a little bit upset by it. It, you know, it starts as a cat, and who knows what other animal it could turn into. Maybe something with a shell? I don't know. We'll see a little bit later hey, today. But Brian let's first. started with let's turtles,
1: to graduated to MFers, and now is at cats. He's starting to get into the blue chips,
0: folks. Yeah, I'm working my way up here. Um, I'm learning, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about the market. What's the market teaching us? What is the market telling us? Let's start with Bitcoin. What's the price this week, David?
1: Yeah, we got a happy
0: Bitcoin this week, Ryan. It started at
1: $39,000, went down and touched the low of $38,000 very briefly, and then recovered right back up and started climbing out of that hole to where it is now at $40,700. Hit a high of over uh, $41,000. So overall up 5% on the week. Uh, So happy week. Could also just be a recovery off of a very bearish week the last week. So, you know, who knows? I'm a little surprised
0: about that. Are you surprised that we're actually going up this week?
1: Um, I am conflicted that we are
0: going up this week. Okay, because it was all uh, it was all about bearish David well, last I was very week, and I want to know wh- the, whether whether bearish David has has returned again this mm-hmm. week, or whether it's uh, a more neutral David, or or maybe the bull David is back. No, it's not. Bull David is not back. It's it's bull David is not full, fully back. Full okay.
1: conflicted David, where we can, we're, we're going to be <laughs> talking about this throughout the markets, where just macro has not changed at all, and in fact has even, I would say, gotten worse, Uh, meanwhile, like the merge is just so bullish. Like, how do you, how do I square these things? I just don't know. <laughs> you just buy more ETH, is what you do. But <laughs> so speaking of which, tell us what the ETH price is doing this week. Yeah, ETH started the week at two thousand six hundred dollars, hit a low of two thousand five hundred ish dollars, and then climbed right back up out of that to where it is now at two thousand eight hundred dollars. Uh, especially in the last twenty four hours, at the time of recording, this is we always record these as, as Thursday morning, by the way. Um, uh, so. Uh, where it is now is is up from two thousand five hundred basically just twenty four hours ago uh, or two thousand six hundred to two thousand eight hundred kind of climbing out of that hole that it set. Uh, And then if you kind of just zoom out, Ryan, there's a, there's another chart that we have uh, available. I I don't know if you pulled it up. Yeah. Uh, This is the, the creator of the, of these charts who drew these lines would like us to inform you that these are just meme lines. And that's really all TA is, is meme lines. But if you know, if you know Bankless, we know that memes are real. Uh, There's a, there's a a triangle, there's a triangle here. And uh, the 2,800 level of ETH price is poking through that triangle. And that has been a descending line line from where it was at the start of the year for like three to four months of the ETH price just descending on this line uh and it's poking through it's poking through saying hey what's up on the on the upside of this line
0: um so who knows it's 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 trying to figure out what merge week means for the price of ETH I mean that's what what's going on but how about the ETH to Bitcoin ratio because this is our bull market bear market indicator when ratio goes up Mm -hmm. we're generally more bullish when ratio goes down more bearish, uh, and it's up this week? Yeah, it's up this week. And you can see that line that I was talking about that basically started
1: towards the end of December where the merge hit the high of Oh excuse me the merge. The ETH BTC ratio hit the high of like what looks like 0.086 in December and then it has had that linear line down setting lower highs and uh, just basically for the last like 4 months. So started at point like 0.088 in like January is at 0.082 in February is at 0.0, like, 0.075 to where it bottomed at basically 0.064. But since hitting that bottom at 0.064 we have climbed back out to 0 six, eight. So, you know, like there, there's a, a shape being formed here and we actually got some charty chart stuff to look at with that too. Uh, so this is uh, what was called a, a channel. Uh, and so uh, we touched the bottom of that channel in, earlier last week uh, and we have bounced off of it. And so if you are perhaps a trader, you are looking at how ether is in the bottom of this channel heading, to, heading back towards the top of his channel. So if it continues that, uh, you know, bullish,
0: bullish. What about this
1: one? Oh, and this is a triangle. We, all, we, we love the shapes. We love the triangles. Uh, and so again, it's, it's another, th- the, the concept here is that as this triangle converges, something happens at the end of this triangle. Uh, like it's gotta go up or it's gotta go down. This is what traders look at when they look at these things. Uh, and this is a, a wedge, I believe. Uh, and, and if you'll notice, Ryan, that the wedge comes to a close right around July, right around when the merge would happen. Uh, And so things are lining up like uh, I don't pay attention to TA too much, but I do know that there are real reasons to look at it. Uh, And when you see an inflection point happening around the same time as something very, very fundamental, that is interesting. That's an interesting thing to look at.
0: Okay. So, so we're looking at TA. All right. We almost never do that Mm -hmm. on bankless. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like we're looking at TA in this episode because you're you're feeling like conflicted I'm feeling as to what's conflicted. going to happen next. Yeah. This is this is when you pull out the, like the horoscopes or mm-hmm. I'm sorry the, the TA this right is when you're like what's the future going to hold? Let me look at the charts. Let me look at TA yeah. when you you don't really know and it could fall one one way or the other. So what is uh what is it about this market that's so you know conflicting right now? Is it, is it the fundamentals of the ETH merge happening in 2022 yet? in the backdrop we have all of this macro ba- bad news we've got obviously you know war in ukraine commodities uh, price increases shortages everywhere still the tail end of covid economy uh like inflation the fed just raised rates which mm-hmm. you're going to talk to us all that macro stuff you're contending with mixed with the bullish otherwise bullish uh specifically ethereum news mm-hmm. is that what's going on in your mind here yeah that's
1: a, that's a pretty good summary uh I, I talked about this on last week where there's so many things about the current crypto markets talking just about crypto right now that are reminiscent of the end of the cycle last year, like last, last gasps of the mania for people to just la- grab their last amount of hype and, and attention so they can exit. You said last year. Do you, do you mean like last, last cycle. like, like 2018, right? Okay. Yeah. Like yep. super cringy ICOs and people were just participating in them because that was just like the leftover energy. And like, now we're seeing we'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about the ape coin, but like, People, when people run out of ideas, what do they do? They issue tokens because that's the only idea that they have left. And ultimately, that just becomes dilution, uh, and that's bearish. Uh, and so like, like, we're seeing just the attention just leave out of the, the whole play-to-earn gaming side of crypto. We're seeing attention leave out of the NFT side of crypto. Uh, we're seeing people just hanging on on these desperate attempts for, for attention. And so so much of the crypto industry just feels like it has lost the tailwinds. Uh, And on top of that, there's just all of the macro bearishness. There's the commodity markets that just suck right now. We're going to look at uh, the uh, the, like uh, an index of equities charts and just kind of looks looks bad. Meanwhile, like like Putin is scared and in a corner and like that's volatile. And so like, you know, that, you know, that meme, Ryan, of like that, that the building that's toppling over and there are like three steel beams that are holding it up like that yeah. feels like the, the world and the beams that are holding it up are is the merge. And so like there's an infinity <laughs> number of like bearish things going on, but
0: the merge is so bullish and I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> well, uh maybe we'll find it out by the end of this episode once we go through the the merge how you're feeling at the mm-hmm. end of this David but yeah, I I understand the conflict here. Um let's talk about the bed index cuz this is a nice blend, mm. DeFi, Bitcoin and ETH. What are we looking at on the week? Yeah,
1: started the week at $101 ending the week at $103.78. So, up like 4 or 5% on the week, 3 or 4% on the week. Um
0: modestly, yeah. Well- Honestly, yeah. Let's 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 switch to some of this macro stuff for a minute, and yeah. our and I guess our Fed Watch uh, segment. So Powell came out this week. Turns out he is more hawkish than the market expected. I don't know what I expected. I I kind of expected him to be hawkish in the face of inflation. Hawkish means looking to raise rates, looking to um, get a bit tighter on monetary policy these days. Uh, So the big news is they are increasing, the Fed is increasing its uh, interest rate by 25 basis points, a quarter of a percent. I believe that's happening sometime in March. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. There's some other things we can get into. But what do you think this means high level? I thought this was expected. I thought the Fed,
1: the Fed raising by 0.25% was like viewable from a long way off. So I kind of been confused as to how the hawkishness interpretation came about
0: yeah i guess maybe some people thought that given events in ukraine mm. that the fed might sort of change their their position worried about like the the r word has been used recently with commodity prices uh increasing the recession word and of course they have to balance inflation with the th- the f- threat and fear of, uh, uh of recession so uh, this is the f- this is also the first increase since 2018. Yeah. I'd forgotten it's been that long. Yeah. So that's a big deal. Yeah, so and we were just, was,
1: the Fred was just getting into raising interest rates post, I believe, 2008 or something uh, and started doing that in 18. Yeah. And then boom, COVID. <laughs> and then they just right. scrapped those plans. And then now right. they're start, they were about to start to raise interest rates. And then, boom, Russia invades Ukraine. Uh, But now, this time, it looks like they are not stopping the raising of interest rates because of the invasion. So maybe that's the hawkishness. It's like, oh, they didn't
0: give us another free ride, I guess. That's the take so far. Apparently, his language is um, they outlined seven more hikes this year. So seven more hikes this year and then four hikes, interest rate hikes, in 2023, so next year. Uh, they're also planning to run down their balance sheet a little bit. So that's kind of equivalent right. to another hike, right. um, discharging some assets from from the balance sheet. So discharging and, assets
1: from the balance sheet was one of the reasons why the whole entire market turned over in December and January. And, and we've been bearish ever since because people were like, oh, that's actually way more aggressive in terms of interest rate increases than we ever kind of accounted for. And the markets have been bearish ever
0: since exactly and you know people are look people are asking the fed to do something about inflation like that's that's coming from politicians now too Mm -hmm. um but powell also hinted that if they did 11 hikes uh this year that that would not cause a recession he he used the words no recession because he said aggregate demand is strong tight labor market there's a tight uh, labor market and household balance sheets are strong so he doesn't think that these rate hikes and this more like, aggressive monetary policy you know, contraction will actually lead to a recession. That's an interesting take. And of course, look, the Fed can change its mind at any time. Like Between this meeting and next meeting could be a totally different story. But this is a new message coming out of the Fed. Do you remember six months ago uh, or so, the, the, the big story on, on the roll-ups about the Fed's action was like completely ignoring inflation? Right. Like, it's um, it's only temporary. Transitory. Yeah. It, transitory inflation. And now this is a complete direction right. change, which is like, oh, inflation's here and we have to fight it. And not less than six, six months later, this is the new message coming out of the Fed. So that's interesting in and of itself.
1: Well, I mean, it sounds like they've done their research. They've certainly done more research than I have because I didn't measure, like, the average, like, cash on hand for the average American household. But at the same time, like, the, the, the game of controlling inflation and interest rates is such a game of game theory. So like the Fed is like, oh yeah, we're gonna raise interest rates like seven more times in 2022. But in the back office, they could be like, all right guys, we're gonna tell everyone that we're gonna raise interest rates exactly. seven times in 2022. Exactly. And maybe we're actually only gonna do it four times. And so the market is actually also playing the game theory game is like, all right, so that's what they said but what do you think they're really going to do? And like, it just throws everything into a ridiculous mess. And that is why people should not be in charge of the value of money. Anyways.
0: Yeah. Well, another story there, but uh, this is what equities are doing. I think this is an interesting chart from a, from a macro perspective, but what are you seeing in this chart? This is, I believe this is a composite index uh, from, from the NASDAQ basically, Looks like, a, you know, I don't know, 20 years, something mm-hmm. long, long, time very, very horizon. long
1: time horizons. Yeah. So every single candle is one month. So very, very long time horizon. I, th- I think we actually accidentally cut out the bottom of the, the, the chart, but you can see when COVID happened uh, and then you can kind of see when the 2008 crash happened. Uh, yeah, bad. Uh, and as you look very, very recently, you, like there are three, maybe four examples of like a bunch of red on this chart. And one of them is in the last like four months. Uh, we've had like I think I see four, three or four monthly red candles in the last four months. And when you look at how fast this is a this is a, a Nasdaq composite index, when you look how fast it's gone up in the last like two years, you can, I see that I'm like pretty fearful about how much room there is to go down, uh, and when like. We've we've noticed crypto be super correlated to traditional stock markets and the rest of the macro markets, and so if that does like turn over as it's looking like it's currently doing without any sort of recovery, like that makes me scared. That makes me scared,
0: especially yeah, when there's a war have, in Europe. Uh, yeah, equities could have a, a ways to drop, is what you're saying. Yes, basically. that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, well, speaking of dropping. This is a chart we don't often look at. We used to. It's so sad. <laughs> we used to look at Here's this. Here's why chart. we don't uh, look at this chart anymore.
1: Absolute demolishing. So we are first, looking what at is we this are looking chart. at the DPI ETH chart. The DeFi, the value of a DeFi aggregate in ETH terms. Uh, we used to look at this chart a lot, uh, but it kept on going down every single week. And so it stopped being alpha and started being depressing. I think the last time <laughs> the last time we reported it, it was something in like point zero six five dpi per eth and now we are down to 0.055 uh so this
0: is really since like DeFi summer yeah basically um let me see if i can max this out well you know i had some recovery i suppose earlier in the year a little bit of recovery and this is this is kind of the fake out like you know we thought DeFi was was back on the rise again um, but it didn't happen at least relative to eth and uh it's just bleeding Mm -hmm. it's just completely bleeding out uh, as compared to ETH right now. And ETH is retaining, sucking in more value. What do you think? Like, do you think this ever changes? I mean, now people go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, 18 months ago, the narrative was, it's all about DeFi. All you need is Bitcoin and DeFi tokens mm-hmm. and no ETH. Those are the things that are going to accrue value. Now it's kind of flipped a little right. bit where people are saying ETH is forever even going to Bitcoin. gain you value. <laughs> you don't even need Bitcoin. Well, and you don't need DeFi tokens, right? right? And like, there's this fear almost that ETH has become so deflationary Mm -hmm. that it could suck out all of the value from the greater Ethereum economy and all of the DeFi tokens. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I I think that's right. I think having justifying like having your ethereum exposure in defi tokens never made any sense to me because every time you add a token to ethereum you benefit ether because of EIP-1559 like the economic activity that you create by having a new token flows back into EIP-1559 via transaction fees that doesn't work the other way like the value of ether going up doesn't benefit your token it's only it's only one way tokens benefit eth eth doesn't benefit tokens uh, and so you get exposure to every single token on Ethereum by just holding ETH. And so like when you look at the DeFi bleed versus ETH, it's kind of what you would expect, especially when a lot of DeFi has high issuance from yield farming versus Ether, which is quote unquote deflationary, not, not in practice, but in theory and in later in practice. This is kind of what you would expect. This is what happens when, when your base money is deflationary.
0: Everything else kind of goes to zero in relation to it. But do you think this will happen forever? Like, surely DeFi tokens will have a resurgence, won't they? Yeah, they can have a resurgence, but then it can continue to still happen forever, Ryan. Like, like
1: we <laughs> we could have a bullish year for DeFi tokens, and then once again, it can resume its towards zero
0: trend versus Ether. I think personally, I think that what's going to shake out is somewhat in the middle, right? It's like I think that now we're now we're on the other That's not side a of the narrative take switch. <laughs> I just think I just think that like. Um, we're like, we go overboard on, on narratives, right? So in one direction, it was like ETH is going to have no value and it's all DeFi tokens. Now we're probably on the other side of that pendulum swing where Mm -hmm. everyone's like, well, ETH is going to slurp out all of the value of DeFi. There won't ever be like DeFi tokens that are accruing value relative to ETH. And I kind of think that's the time you want to start looking at DeFi a bit more aggressively, right? Um, It's, it's hard when you are denominating your returns in ETH to do that. Right. But I do think there are going to be some real winners and some real champions on the DeFi side that, that gain relative to ETH. But there's one, I think, compounding factor here that we have to figure out. And we haven't figured this out yet. Uh, and I, I think it's going to be an important, I guess, part of the investment thesis to figure out in 2022, which is like, will the, the new DeFi token winners be the winners from the past? Right? Like right. there was this idea that we'd have a bunch of blue chip uh, DeFi tokens that would continue to grow and expand. But what if, what if the turnover is a lot tighter? Right. Like what if the, the winners on Ethereum are not going to be the same as like the winners in the L2 ecosystem mm-hmm. or the winners on alternative chains? What if they're all of these new separate winners and how do you like bake that into the calculation? Because even the DPI, it's just really the Ethereum blue chip. Right tokens the biggest uh tokens by um by value there so that's another piece of the puzzle i think to sort out and i, I don't think the market has figured that out either which is why the prices are uh, are so depressed too
1: yeah yeah and i i have similar thoughts about the nft ecosystem is that like nfts as a whole can be bullish but that's just because people are rotating from one NFT to another, to another, and it's like the NFT ecosystem is really just this shelling point game as to which is the next NFT that's going to be hot, right? And you, we, right. we leave all the other previous ones behind. And like the a- the aggregate DeFi market cap could certainly grow, and perhaps it can even grow faster than the ETH market cap, but that doesn't actually mean that that's instantiated into a single asset that you can purchase because the growth exactly. happens in or new Or even tokens. a
0: single even a single index yeah, right. is is hard to capture at all right. and you know it's not capturing it mm-hmm. all that's what you know dpi is not capturing and that's at why all. there's always uh, alpha
1: on the margins of defi because not even the D, the indices are going to be able to capture the upsides from these new tokens, because for every good winner of a token, there's going to be 100 negative like bad tokens that the indexes like you can't just accept all of them. And so like that's always why there's going to be investment into DeFi is because there's alpha at the margins. Uh, and then by the time it gets into the indices, like you prize, probably the alpha is probably already taken yeah
0: absolutely well there's more work to do here uh, and that's obviously why you buy ETH. more research to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is the simplest approach yeah. i mean you need to get an index of exposure to everything speaking of eth prices mm-hmm. one price that like in eth ethereum economy that is down is ethereum gas prices mm-hmm. this is a fantastic uh dashboard on dune analytics created by uh hildo no hildobi 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 yeah. yeah and so this is showing us um, Gas costs. We'll include this as a resource for you so you can kind of see gas costs over time. Recently, they've spiked. Yeah. By recently, I mean like in the past few hours, yeah. I believe. Yeah, 24 I was looking hours. at this chart yeah. earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, 24 hours. I was looking at this chart earlier and, and the prices to move um, like ETH were like, you know, a dollar or something like this. Right. Now they're up to, to $5 on Ethereum. Um, but what is this showing us uh, overall, David, with the price? Gas prices. Well, it's definitely
1: showing us over the last few months or so that gas prices have kind of hit new lows. I think uh, over the last like three months or so, the median gas price was 22 guay, which we have not seen in a very long time. Um, But you can also, this is just a very useful gas board because it shows you time of day and where the spikes happen time of day and also on days of the week. Uh, and, and so it's just actually, it's just a really useful resource. I think we're going to be keeping this in the, in the roll up all the time, but like here, here it is over the last day, week and months, blue, blue is in month over the past, over the past month, the average gray price, if you take the, like the peak of that chart, I think is something like 30 Gui. And over the last week, it was something like 22 gray for the, for your average uh, gas prices. Super low, super low, super low. Um, uh, but then, like the the market movements today, as long as, along with the Board Ape's uh, token, which we'll talk about later, uh, we definitely saw a spike above 175 Gwei. So you know, there's always life somewhere. Um, but uh, de- de- generally, depressed depressed gas prices, which is a plus one to the bear side of the
0: argument. By the way, let it be clear. <laughs> depressed gas prices are now a bear, bear market indicator. Um, and I, I guess they always have been, mm-hmm. although people have been saying that high ETH gas prices are bearish for ETH as well. Yeah, uh, haters the will say anything's bearish for ETH. <laughs> <laughs> Visa versus Ethereum volume. Look at this. In 2021, Visa moved $10.4 trillion in payments volume. Ethereum moved $11.6 trillion. I think we've talked about this before, but it just... Warrants repeating that last year, Ethereum moved more in payments volume than the Visa network. That's aggregate of ETH to- and ETH tokens and stablecoins and everything else on Ethereum. That's a pretty big milestone to cross in my mind.
1: Yeah, and I think this is just taking into account stable coins i think that's what payments volume must mean is stable coin transfers uh which means it's it's apples to apples folks this isn't like erc 20 DeFi token transfers versus visas settlement in the networks for dollars this is dollars to dollars uh so uh you you know apples to apples comparison and ether ethereum one so yeah nice job ethereum <laughs> Good
0: time. Good time. uh let's talk about this um Oh, airdrops. That's what the the topic is right now. So, do you hold or sell airdrops? Let me ask you, what's your personal strategy? The airdrops you received last year, do you hold or did you sell? Uh, or did it depend?
1: Almost all of them I sold. Except for ENS. All, all of the almost e- all of them? Yeah, almost all of them, except for ENS. ENS I still I still have. Well, cuz uh, I haven't claimed it yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if like that is the profitable move, uh, and maybe this is obvious to people who've been paying attention to airdrops over the past year or so. But um, like, look at these, look at these charts. Oof, airdrops. Oof. What, what are we seeing this here? in the, these charts? The uni, This is uni, the
1: Uniswap uni uni going and spiking from where it got claimed at three dollars up to forty dollars, and then down to ten dollars. But ten dollars was oh, that's where it is now. Um, so actually, you know, technically, it's still a winner um, depending on when you sold it. But the, what we're really looking at is like it's claimed. It goes up, then it goes down, um, you know, and it usually goes up first and then down later. Um, so yeah, uh, things, but this, this is just another articulation of what we were talking about earlier with the D DeFi versus, versus ETH. Um, but I guess this, this is actually versus dollars now, isn't it? Which is even worse.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I guess the message here is when you get an airdrop, sell it immediately. Mm, no, I think, I
1: think so, uh,
0: usually it's safe to wait like
1: between like eight and 24 hours. Like usually, it pumps and
0: then you sell it. I feel like that's fairly immediate, though. That's right? relatively so like Sell in the first few days or the first week yeah. is, has been the profitable move thus Have far. Have your
1: finger over the sell button, yeah. For sell for, sell for ETH. I,
0: I wonder if that ever reverses or ever changes. If airdrops will become high. see the thing is or like maybe that's just the nature airdrops of an airdrop. Are is-
1: issuance and issuance is inflationary and inflationary is dilutive and that's
0: just all bearishna- bearishness. Airdrops are also a fantastic way to get your coin into every like crypto media publication onto everyone's radar in like Twitter, you know, Reddit. Yes. You get one week of attention. attention. Right. So you see these like, they're almost like attention spikes, particularly for some of these really small uh, market cap tokens. Like, I'm not sure what this is, but like, uh, I think that happened like SOS. Do you remember that one that happened in December? Just a quick spike and then it's gone. Yep. Or whatever it talks about attention it
1: spikes. Wow, I'm gonna. I think we should log that one because so many charts in crypto are not chart, just charts of the price, but actually are just proxies for people's attention.
0: But they really are, yeah. aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, three Rs Capital is putting some attention on ETH yeah. right now. Right. What's this uh, transaction?
1: Yeah, because because. Three hours capital is so large, it's very easy to figure out which addresses are there. So they have, basically everyone has their addresses tagged. And one of their addresses added 40,500 Ether, about $112 million, uh, about uh, at 2 a.m. last night. Uh, so it'll be a little bit more than 24 hours uh, ago from the, from the listener's perspective when they are listening to this on Friday. Uh,
0: and so three hours capital, the rotators, rotating into ETH ahead <laughs> of the merge. Here we go. Oh, man. How, how long ago was it the Ethereum's abandoning its users tweet? Was um, like, like four months ago? Four months ago? Four or five months ago? We're back in. Yeah, it was, right are Back schedule. in. Un- Unabandoned <laughs> <laughs> Uh Let's talk about this. So, a few things on um, Tara Do Kwan, mm-hmm. his list. Number one is he is buying, or uh, uh, Tara is planning to buy $10 billion worth of Bitcoin for its reserves. Ten which is billion. Uh, what? What? <laughs> pretty impressive. How much um, does Michael Saylor have? I don't think he has 10 billion. No. There's no way he has 10 billion. I mean that's that's absolutely massive. And and how are they how are they doing this? Of course it's the value of, of Luna. Right. Uh so like on one side it's like you're taking your your Luna token proceeds and you're diversifying into into bitcoin and using that as a reserve doquan says this is uh, going to open a new monetary era of the bitcoin standard and it's you know what this kind of reminds me of a little bit is actually um what eos did yeah. and people are gonna like hate that i just compared eos to luna and i'm not comparing them in all respects but in this respect eos did they raised a whole bunch of bitcoin and eth um they sold the vast majority of their eth they kept their bitcoin it's like billions of dollars worth of bitcoin on reserve for eos and i'm not i have no idea what they're actually doing with that right now but um it's kind of like a way to get cheap bitcoin how the issuance of eos And they sold it when eos was much higher than it is today um i'm not saying that's exactly what's happening here but it feels a little similar mm-hmm. what's your take on this david
1: So I'm not an expert in the dynamics between behind the Terra ecosystem, but they have like the Terra USD, which they are saying that this this 10 billion in Bitcoin is going to be like the backstop for it, like kind of like how the Federal Reserve has gold and other foreign reserve assets to shore up the value of the U.S. dollar if the time ever comes to it. Right. Like they can use their treasuries to protect the protect the peg or protect the value of the currency. What in my mind, uh, this is just signaling a lack of confidence on the nature of your own asset. Like, why can't you use your own money to to back to back your stablecoin? If if you have confidence on the long term sustainability of your own ecosystem, why do you need an alternative store of value to shore the, to backstop the value of your stablecoin? And and plus, like. If the value of UST, of Terra USD, depends on something external to the Luna protocol, that's an external dependency that is not cryptographic. That is trust. You have to have the security of your own network solved inside of your own network. You can't have an external money be the thing that props up the value of your stablecoin. So to me, this just shows a lack of confidence in the value of, of Luna. Uh, because they have to go elsewhere to have their store
0: of value. Uh, and that's exactly it dep- so it you know what you know what it 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 um I guess it seems like to me is it feels a bit more like you sold stocks to buy some money, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this is why I've always thought that that Luna and the tarot ecosystem is a bit more on the like fintech side mm-hmm. of the spectrum right. than than like and Ethereum or, or Bitcoin are on kind of the, the hard sound money end of the spectrum, right? And I guess from Terra's perspective, if you don't think the Luna Luna coin is actually like money, a monetary asset, then what you're doing is you're taking some of your equity, almost like some of your stock, and you are exchanging that for a real money, like a, a much harder money. And and you're kind of doing the the fintech play too, because you're like sort of holding that to backstop your your assets so i guess maybe it makes sense from from that perspective but that perspective itself
1: doesn't make sense
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean we're not here for like new fintech um We are here for the
1: cryptographic futures with no external dependencies oh that's
0: that's the bankless take uh this is also interesting Uh doquana in the news so there was a a wager of some sort, a bet of some sort. What, uh, what was this bet, David? Uh, this
1: was a, a bet created on Twitter. Uh, and so Do Kwan, you know, the, the founder of Terra Luna and this Al Algod, which is like a crypto trader Twitter account, um, going, we're going at it about the future value of, of Luna. Uh, and so, uh, Doquan proposes a $1 million US uh, tether bet, UST bet, so basically dollars, between Sensei All God, and Doquan himself, saying that uh, in one year's time, from March 14th, if the price of Luna is higher than $88, Doquan pockets the million dollars, and if it's lower, then Sensei God pockets a million dollars. Uh, You know, it's just always a great popcorn season to see the founders of, of layer 1's bet about the future price of their layer 1 asset like especially <laughs> after it just flipped Solana right and so like some big big like cockiness going on on, on Twitter right now uh, and then actually it actually mm-hmm. it got raised right uh Uh, Not raised by that particular person, but a second person came in with another $10 million offer to take the same bet, which Doquan also accepted. So Doquan has $11 million in exposure in the bet against $88 Luna on March 14th, 2023. Um, So, you know, again, going back to the whole fintech thing, this kind of feels like Elon Musk when he tweeted out, don't short Tesla. Yes. Like I'll wreck you. Yes. Yeah. And so yes. like you would never ever see Vitalik making a, a statement like this. Can you imagine? Could you imagine, Jesus?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's just a completely different culture, yeah. I like like culture and founder DNA there. Mm-hmm. And it does feel a bit more Elon Musk yeah. uh, and it feels a lot less Satoshi, it feels a lot less Vitalik. Yes, very much but- so. Is what it is. I'm sorry, you know? but when you that's, when I see
1: found, L1 founders making $11 million bets <laughs> against the value of their assets in one year, I am Don't bearish, tell me it makes you bearish. Of the whole industry. <laughs> that is a bearish <laughs> signal. We are plus two to the bear side you know of the what? equation
0: today. Well, we looked at that chart too, the Luna chart in the uh, in our conversation with um, Ledger mm-hmm. earlier in the week. And it's just an absolute massive chart. Right. It's like from 30 cents all the way up to what is Terra right now? Or what is Luna right now? Uh,
1: it is, I was looking at it a second ago, it is at,
0: uh, it is at $87. It is at $87. $87.
1: $32 billion market cap versus Solana at $29 billion market cap. How do you you buy ten billion dollars of Bitcoin on a thirty-two billion dollar market cap? How much are you gonna have to liquidate? You're gonna send very that thing slowly. down to zero.
0: You do that. You do that very slowly. I think is uh, is how you do it. I'm sorry. Um, when and, when Terra maybe quickly as well. When Terra was <laughs> like thirty
1: cents you- <laughs> like a year ago, and now it's at eighty-seven dollars, and now the founder is saying, "Oh, we're gonna market by ten billion dollars worth of Bitcoin." How much bigger of a red flag do you need? Like, where do you think that money's coming from? He's going to market, dump Terra to buy Bitcoin. Like, fact check me
0: on this, listeners. Like, maybe I'm wrong. I'm maybe sure it's coming will. from elsewhere. But like, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we, you, we, we will get fact checked. But uh, yes, some of these definitely send the, uh, the senses, the spidey yes. senses tingling a little bit. Yeah. Guys, we will be right back with the raises of the week, the releases of the week. And of course... Merge week. Merge week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. All right, guys, we are back with the releases of the week. We got to start here. Stripe now supports crypto. This is a really big deal. Stripe is a payment processing company. They provide a whole bunch of APIs, basically the traditional banking system. Uh, we use Stripe on bank lists. Uh, it's a pretty fantastic product overall. I think these guys are doing $8 billion in revenue. They have 4,000 employees and they are launching support for crypto businesses of all kinds, all sorts of things they're doing here. A, uh, crypto powered fiat payment API. I think what they're doing is basically connecting crypto rails to their existing set of payment APIs. So it's like crypto to bank bridge, mm-hmm. if you will, an on-ramp, if you will. Uh, really
1: cool stuff here. Yeah, when, when Ryan said uh, Stripe is supporting crypto, very like high level nebulous statement, right? Like what, what does that even mean? They are supporting crypto in like every single way. KYC, fiat on-ramps, exchange, like, fiat, like stablecoin exchanges, t- so, like uh, you know, credit card to stablecoin transfers, like native wallets, they're doing it all. They're doing it, and this is not just a little bit. This
0: is a lot of bit. This is the full I thing. I feel like it, it came out of nowhere. It came too. out of nowhere. It's just suddenly, bam, stripes here, and then they re- like all of these products they just released, even NFT marketplaces, right? yeah, uh, with an identity type of solution. Yeah,
1: So payments and KYC baked in. Like this is the ki- t- type of release that gets a lot of like institutions and and you know f- you know businesses who are crypto scared to start being crypto enabled and start being crypto curious like oh we can like stripe i'm familiar with stripe i'm familiar with their brand they're they are big on compliance they're big like heavily regulated uh and they're letting me do crypto things uh so i expect this to get a ton of adoption from a lot of businesses that maybe were crypto curious but didn't know how to do it
0: well totally and i i think even an example is for us david so we use a platform for our newsletter called substack mm-hmm. and it you know if if you want to pay in fiat you, you pay stripe is basically the platform that powers all of substack we've been asking substack forever Ever. to take crypto payments forever it's so simple can you take eth can you take erc20s so like can you integrate that and it's always just like it's too much work. Nope. Like we just use Stripe. Nope. 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 As somebody who's now, integrated crypto payments into a web app before, it's not that hard. It's not Yeah. Well, so they didn't want to for whatever reason. Maybe it was regulatory. Maybe it was some additional but now if it's incorporated, if it's part of Stripe, you can guess that's gonna be a feature that Substack is going to add. And under the covers of probably so many of the services used today, like the Shopify's where you, you like you you buy, you know, clothes, all the retail stuff like e-commerce online, your your software as a service subscriptions, Stripe is behind the scenes there. And so now what you're going to see over the next few weeks and months is another like pay via crypto type button. And so just as you check out with Stripe, you can just pay via crypto. Like that's what's happening. So this is a a massive move because Mm -hmm. it's happening at kind of the like the base backend layer mm. of the internet and how payments work on the internet for all sorts of different websites. And this is just, I, we call it the DeFi mullet thesis, right? Yep. This is just crypto, like getting in the back there mm. and having FinTech, you know, the stripes of the world, be, be the front end for them. So it's really cool to see. Yeah,
1: we are having uh, the crypto lead at Stripe on the podcast later in the month after. They said we wanted to get them on for this coming Tuesday State of the Nation. And they were like, no, we still have a number of announcements and releases to get out the door. So let's come in about in, a, in, in one month's time after those get released. So there is more coming out of Stripe. <laughs> there, there is your bankless alpha. More coming
0: out of Stripe. That's super impressive. Uh, speaking of impressive, Ave V three, they just launched. What is included in Ave's? Yeah, that deserves applause, guys. Ave V three is right. here.
1: What's it include, David? Oh, it's got so much stuff, Ryan. A bunch of just, like, quality of life features and upgrades, I would say. Uh, so it's not, like, anything. It's, it's still a money market. That didn't change. But, like, basically everything under the hood has gotten a, an improvement. So uh, you can do cross-chain transactions. So Ave is going to be on basically every single EVM chain, whether it's a roll-up or another L1. Uh, and you can go from Ave to Ave to Ave. Directly through the web app, through this thing called portal. Uh, they also have what they are calling high efficiency mode, which just unlocks more capital effic- efficiency, more borrowing power. Uh, isolation mode, which allows assets to get listed that doesn't have uh, second or third order consequences to the rest of the Ave mar- markets. So maybe some high risk token comes in, but they don't want the the uh, the collateral backing that thing to have contagion risk to the rest of the market. Uh, so they have kind of like you know compartmentalized markets. That's cool. More gas. Optimizations, which they say are reducing gas by 20 to 5 to 5, uh, 20 to 25 percent, um, and uh, additional like risk management tools and uh, various things like that. So you can read more in their blog, uh, and or just go
0: ahead and use Ave V3 on on uh, any of your preferred layer twos. It's actually not on Ethereum mainnet yet, though. That's kind of the last they're getting to. So their they're, their their deployment approach is super interesting. They they hit all of the alternative uh, layer ones that have EVM support, so the Phantoms and the Avalanches and the Harmonies of the world, and then also the layer twos like Arbitrum and Optimism, and uh, and Polygon. But they've not yet deployed on Ethereum mainnet. They're almost using these these other um, uh, you know s- side chains and layer twos as uh, kind of a not quite a test environment, but their their initial release environment before they deploy to Ethereum. But the cool thing about this too is right out of the gate, you can access Ave V3 on 1inch, Paraswap, Zerion, which you talked about earlier, Zapper, Dbank, any other interface you use and wallet you use. So it's like a quick roll up and a rollout and deployment here, which is really awesome to see. But they weren't the only ones nope. that just released a point upgrade. So Alchemix V2 is here. Yes. We like it.
1: We like it. Should we go into uh, Alchemix V2? V2 is cool. Yeah, tell us. Because there's just more uh, vaults, I would say, I I think is the big upgrade. Like, uh, you have different... possibilities with the collaterals that you want to put into Alchemix. So V2 allows for the arbitrary number of collateral tokens and also new yield strategies. So you get to pick your own collateral and you get to pick your own yield strategy so you can kind of custom fit how the Alchemix protocol works from you. Uh, Token adapters are written and audited for V2 and they can add an ever-increasing selection of yield providers for your deposits on Alchemix. So Alchemix uses Yearn to get yield, but now they are also opening up direct markets into Aave or into Com so you can source your yield from a specific part of DeFi with a specific stablecoin. Uh, and so just a lot more composability and a lot more um, uh, just user power. Uh, and that's what these applications are supposed to do is bestow
0: power upon the users. And that's what Alchemix V2 what's, is all what, about. What's the high level for what Alchemix does for people mm. who aren't familiar with it?
1: Yeah, so it is a, a loan. It's a it's like you can get your interest payments paid to you up front. So you can... In advance. You, you put stablecoins in and then you can borrow stable coins against your stable coins, and the stable coins that you deposited earn yield, and they just like it's kind of like a proxy for yearn right so like right now like yearn's like 3% you put a, uh, like $10,000 into into alchemix uh, and you get that 3% because it's yield farming your stable coins in yearn but then alchemix lets you borrow up to 50% of your deposited stable coins and so you put it let's put like $10,000 in you can uh borrow $5,000 and go do whatever with it while that $10,000 is earning yield in defi what you can also do is you can take that five thousand dollars that you borrowed from alchemix and you can put it back into alchemix so you can get off of ten thousand dollars of deposits you can get like fifteen thousand dollars worth of stable coin yield so it's a way to juice up your yield you can also do this with eth um, but it's basically a way to get your your so that like five thousand dollars that you borrowed uh i mean you you'd lock up you lock up ten thousand dollars but that's like technically five thousand dollars of interest payments that are paid to you front that you can go yeah, do stuff with
0: it's something you can't do in the real world right, right? because totally. like it's the ability to pull forward all of these interest payments mm-hmm. and receive it in one lump sum right. and then go do whatever you what whatever you want with mm-hmm. that lump sum mm-hmm. um it's pretty wild um pretty cool okay so uh coinbase they are also testing f- uh fee-free trading yeah this is actually kind apparently. of a big deal yeah yeah so what's this uh this subtitle here i think is important trading fees have historically historically made up the bulk of coinbase's revenue but they're trying to diversify it their business lines so no longer being dependent on fees for trading and, and switching out their their business model a little bit what do you think this means
1: yeah the trading fees transaction fees on, on exchanges has always been the dominant source of revenue for everything for FTX coinbase Gemini, like, like basis points of fees on the trade. Uh, but I mean, this, the crypto industry is so hyper-competitive that these fees have compressed, especially as more and more exchanges have come online and really competed with each other. And so like, what is the ultimate form of compression is going to zero, but then instead, the way that you get revenue is by sub- uh, charging a subscription model. So this is a subscription model. You can now subscribe to Coinbase in order to get fee-free trading. This has actually been in the works for a while and they finally released it. But I bet you this is not going to be the last time that we see a subscription model for exchanges so you can get fee fee free trading. That's kind of a hard thing to say. I hope I don't have to say that to it. It was more hard
0: time. to say, man. Yeah. <laughs> fee free trading. Um, this is something new as well. The crypto sleuthing firm Chainalysis. Sleuthing you've heard firm. us talk about them before. That's a good term for what they are Is basically, they, they look at the blockchain, all of these transactions, and then they, they try to de-, on you. De-, de anonymize it. And yeah, they basically they sell it to government agencies or exchanges, or whoever else needs to know. They are launching sanctioned screening tools mm-hmm. for DeFi for DAOs. Sanctions screening tools. This headline makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. I do not love this headline. Okay, so there, there's two uh,
1: products that they've released. One is on-chain, one's off-chain. Uh, so the off-chain one is an API designed for web and mobile apps, and web servicers, users can receive an API key, which they can check if an address of interest is on the sanctions list or not. So basically, you get to automate, like, hey, this is Ethereum address just signed up for my web app. Is it on the sanctions list? And Coinbase or uh, Chainalysis can come back and say yes or no. You can also, they also are offering an on-chain Oracle for smart contracts. So smart contracts can basically have The same check it's like smart contract like money just get deposited into into a smart contract that smart contract pings the chain analysis uh uh on-chain oracle and says hey is this is this address on the api uh, the the sanctions list and the the smart contract oracle on ethereum will ping you yes or no um how do you feel about that ryan
0: i feel terrible i think it's terrible i i hate this yeah i hate that this exists now of course like protocols can you know uh, pr- protocols aren't necessarily integrating this, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there can be wallets that integrate it uh, or or choose not to. But I feel like this gives the uh, surveillance state and like the sanctioned state another way to basically mandate things in DeFi. So what if you can't really have a non-custodial uh, crypto wallet service like a MetaMask located in the U.S. Unless it is doing this, you know, sanction checking with chain analysis, unless it has that feature, and then it's very easy for like third parties, government states, to create a list of ETH addresses that are blacklisted for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's for a good reason, maybe it's not for a good reason, uh, and once they do that, then that can like. Be pushed out into some of the DeFi tools that that we have today. Of course, they can't get this at the base layer. They can't get this into the smart contract code of a Uniswap, for example. They can't get this into Ethereum. Um, but it's not it's not great. I I you know, and it's not surprising to me that Chainalysis would see this as a massive opportunity. But um, I guess AML DeFi is coming this year like it's Sweet. it's probably here sick i'm looking forward to it uh yeah i'm joking obviously uh take for, for
1: for listeners who want a hypothetical scenario take for example how uh people were asking uh crypto exchanges to de-platform russian uh customers uh in compliance with sanctions uh and then co- uh, coinbase and, and others actually ended up doing it like in theory you could see that same thing where uh all russian users Coming from Russian IP address or have Russian KYC uh, get added to a sanctions list, and like it's parts of DeFi are like, oh, are you, are do you have a Russian address? Because we know of that because of how you signed up for this centralized service. Uh, well, now you're on the sanctions list. So any sort of DeFi app that integrates with Chainalysis is now giving over powers towards nation like nation state governance.
0: And so like the only way the only way around this, I see David is privacy. Yeah. like on the base layer. Yeah. It's like privacy services or L2 privacy. Like it's the only yeah. way around this because if chain analysis can derive the identity of certain addresses, yeah. they will. Mm. And then they will propagate that into the rest of DeFi infrastructure.
1: Yeah, and I've always been conflicted about chain analysis just because like, well, it's, it's basically like the teacher's pet of the government. It's like the the... This, the the narc in the room that asks for the, the reminds the teacher that they forgot to collect the homework, uh, like and but also at the same time like if not chain analysis like it would just be another different surveillance company like the the sure. the value of who's going to be the snoop of the blockchain is going to be captured by someone so this like inevitable when you have public blockchains somebody's going to make a business around breaking everyone else's privacy about it um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to like it.
0: Yeah, and uh, I I think that is the next battle that crypto will have to fight yep. is privacy on the base layer yep. and different different uh, solutions for that. So which we have plenty we're... of. So I have no long term fears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aztec for one, I think a lot of this will be built out on layer two. Maybe that's mm. some more content we'll have to put together in the future, David. Yep. But. Uh, enough of that for now. Let's talk about uh, Volts. What are they doing with the, the Uniswap community?
1: Yeah, Volts is a, is a DeFi primitive that is trying to bring interest rate swaps to DeFi, um, kind of similar to Element Finance, uh, but with a very different um, construction. But inside of the Volts um, uh, architecture is the need for something like Uniswap v3, concentrated liquidity. Uh, But Uniswap V3 has a license, Uh, and so they have offered 1% 1 of Volt's tokens to access Uniswap V3 code inside of the Volt's architecture, to which Uniswap governance gave an overwhelming support of yes. So uh, Volt's requested permission from Uniswap to use the Uniswap V3 license code uh, for 1% of Volt's tokens, and that got approved, which is kind of cool,
0: kind of cool. That's kind of an interesting collaboration uh, for sure. Uh, all right, David, let's switch gears. Let's talk about raises this week. The first one, mm-hmm. Coinbase. They just raised $450 million on a $7 billion valuation. This is mostly on the back of MetaMask, oh, which be. just topped 30 million users. Uh, pretty big valuation for Consensus, though. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, I, I thought this is like the third raise of the year for Consensus. Like they are just yeah. like pulling it in, like coming out of the depths of the bear market, like really turned it around because for those that weren't around during the bear market, the consensus laid off a ton of people because basically Joe
0: Lubin was selling like 20% it. or something, oh, right? That's it? I thought it was more than that. Uh, 20, 30% something. Yeah. A lot. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, I thought this, it was interesting that like in one of their tweets, they said like in this raise, uh, a lot of uh, some of this money is going to be, uh, saved to specifically buy ultrasound money is what they called it. <laughs> All proceeds from this round will be converted to ETH to further build ConsenSys' ultrasound money position as a rebalance to rebalance its That's ETH awesome. to fiat ratio in lines with ConsenSys' treasury strategy. So they drained their ETH treasury in 2018 Gotta trying to fund the company, and now they're buying it back. Uh, so like they were kind of the reason why ETH went to $80, um, but now they're buying it back at whatever the price is now, $2,800. <gasps>
0: Yeah, and they're doing some great work too, with uh, obviously with MetaMask and some of these things. So I'm glad they continue to be to be well funded. Uh, all right, speaking of well funded raises, here's another one. Optimism they just raised at a uh, over one billion dollar valuation. I'm not sure how much the valuation is here, David, but Optimism, of course. A EVM-compatible Layer 2, pretty awesome uh, that they're getting funded as well.
1: Oh, not just EVM-compatible, Ryan, but EVM-equivalent. Uh, a six, $1.65 billion valuation, Paradigm and A16Z. Uh, and Optimism uh, uh, is, a, the, the, like I said, the EVM-equivalent version of an optimistic roll-up, which has a bunch of tailwind effects because you get to strap into the network effects of Ethereum itself, because the difference between optimism and, and Ethereum is trying to be reduced down to the bare minimum. And they're also having a very uh, public goods ethos aligned culture with Ethereum itself. So here's a quote from Jing, the CEO. We are making revenue out of the uh, sequencing for, for the optimism layer, 2 We're giving all of that revenue back towards funding public goods on Ethereum. We don't want to say that we want to uh, want to be decentralized. We also want to show the community that we're setting up our own incentives to be compatible with that. So they are innovating on this thing called retroactive public goods funding. Uh, And if you want to learn more about that, we actually did a show. uh, I did a show with um, with Austin Griffith where we unpacked public goods funding. And so there's more details all about that there. Uh, Everyone's really hyped about optimism. Really nice to see them getting the funding to take their project for the rest of the way because it's super, super ambitious uh, and they deserve it all
0: uh starkware next uh at six billion dollar valuation they just raised a um let's see 100 million dollars after just receiving a 50 dollar a 50 million dollar valuation that was just a a few months ago at a two billion dollar valuation series c that was in november uh so (laughs) layer twos continue to be well funded um solana uh, based NFT, uh, uh, an NFT marketplace on Solana called Eden just raised a $27 million Series A. This feels kind of like the the open sea mm-hmm. of Solana. Filling that niche. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, filling that niche. They've got like 90% of market share of, of NFTs on Solana. What's interesting about this, I think, is the question of will every single independent uh, chain and ecosystem, maybe Layer 2, will they have their own category winners and sets of apps? Will they have their own OpenSeas, their own you know, Uniswaps, automated market makers, their own AVES that are separate and distinct from the ones that have won out on Ethereum? What do you think about that?
1: Uh, well, I know for a fact that OpenSea shall be integrating Solana in the future. Uh, and so maybe there's like the the niche NFT marketplaces like the the uh, indie NFT marketplaces that are specific to the chain that like the chain loyalists like and then there's going to be open.
0: So you're predicting some kind of a convergence there. Then it's like basically the the category winners on Ethereum, the EVM ecosystems will go tackle all of these other chains one by one and and go to war with these, uh, you know, these these local winners Mm -hmm. in every single chain. Interesting to see. Probably some consolidation there, too, as sure. Uh, sure. as that all plays out. Uh, a new Layer 1 has just been funded as well. A $200 million strategic investment led by A16Z, KD Han, uh, coin of course, Three Arrows Capital, FTX Ventures, Coinbase Ventures, all in a new Layer 1 called Aptos. This Layer 1 is actually spun out of some of the initiatives, I, the early days of... Um, The the Libra and Diem project from from Facebook, now called Meta, they were talking about releasing an entirely separate chain. And they actually uh, developed a whole bunch, like put together a whole bunch of work. There's a whole project, open source projects about this, a whole tech stack. That project is now kind of end of life, but this team, this Aptos team, is sort of picking that uh, uh, up where Facebook left off and they're trying to bring another layer one to market. how many times do you think this play can work, David another layer one like are we just gonna have new layer ones pop up every every couple of years or so what's what's happening here
1: uh, this once
0: again reminds me
1: of when people were still issuing icos like three quarters into 2018 after it was so obvious that it was the ico mania was over so Ryan this is three now well, about three points towards the bear market thesis it's too late in the cycle to be raising money for an l for a new l1 especially one that came out of libra slash dm which never even got off the ground in the first place uh and so i think they're just raising money off that branding but that is just my anti l new l1 take i guess
0: i uh i read kyle Samani's post on multi-coin about yeah. this and on it Lithuan. was it It just, well, look, man, it reminded me a lot of his, uh, the pieces he's written about Solana and the virtues of Solana, which is interesting to me. And the one thing I will say is I don't think any of these VCs or investors have a lot of chain loyalty. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think that they are buying block space, buying L1 narratives, buying things that, that will pump um, but all I would say is like retail beware. And of course, retail can't get in on this coin right now, but in the future, I don't know, some of these supply lo- like uh, coin lockups and stuff. Some of the, I don't, I don't know how sustainable this is and we can't just have like layer one after layer one after layer one, unless we get some real traction. Now, yeah. I don't, I don't know. So, um, it seems to be just something we've, we've, we, we see, like a new layer one launches, a bunch of VCs pile in. It's going to be the future. Um, although I will say in 2021, some of those Works some out. of those chains did take off Works in some, out. you know, in big ways. So who knows? Maybe chain loyalty another... and VCs. Can those go together? I don't think so. I, I think the like they're not aligned. It's not compatible. Oh. Um, let's talk about this. Hex trust, they just raised eighty eight million dollars. What is hex trust? Uh, Hex Trust, 88 million dollars for a gaming
1: ecosystem, uh, 88 million dollars for a brand new uh, ecosystems, not not a small number. Um, found was co-led by Anomica Brands and Liberty City Ventures, and never heard of them before. Uh, Series B will use to scale to Europe and Middle East to obtain additional licenses in gaming. Uh, uh, Hex Trust currently has over 100 employees across offices in Hong Kong, Singapore, and Vietnam, uh, and yeah.
0: Haven't heard of any of this. Yeah, neither have I. Moving on. Um, Jobs time. Jobs. It's our time to to ask you whether you've gotten a job in crypto yet. And to remind you, if you haven't, there's a fantastic jobs board. I'm going to read out some jobs for you. The first is, wow, a bankless web developer. Whoa. We are looking for a web developer as well. How crazy (laughs) is it that we don't have a website, Ryan? (laughs) We have a website. I actually put it together and it's terrible. (laughs) Aside from the newsletter, we have like a really ugly, terrible website, and we need a new one, and we need a web developer to help. We also need an editor of the Bankless Newsletter, uh, a senior product manager of Bankless Academy, a senior product manager for Super Rare. we've got a quantitative analyst of risk at MakerDAO, a risk analyst at MakerDAO as well, full stack engineer, at Kazilla, a product manager at Kazilla as well, a whole bunch more at the Bankless Jobs website. Look, if you're not into any of those specific jobs, the other thing you can do is go check out the Bankless Talent Collective and submit your resume. So you just fill out a talent profile and you get connected with companies. If you're a company looking for talent, there's already 200 plus resumes Web3 resumes on the ba- uh, Bankless Talent Collective. You can tap into that as well if you are looking for talent and, uh, and subscribe. This is a pretty cool new initiative that we've just spun up recently. Yeah. Bankless got both sides of the job market. We've got the supply and the demand. Coming up next out of the Bankless ecosystem, the Bankless Dating app. <laughs> no, never. Uh, I don't know how much demand there will be. There might be a lot of supply, though. <laughs> Let's talk news, David. Merge week. So, merge, week. merge week! It's Merge week. It's the moment you've been waiting for. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't sleep on the merge. This is a post you wrote. So mm-hmm. people are predicting the merge in three months. We, we didn't necessarily fully double down on a June date. Right. But we're pretty excited. We're pretty bullish that June could be the month that the merge comes. Part of this was a, a set of reasons given by Superfiz, mm-hmm. who's very plugged into the ETH staking community and that world. What are the reasons why a merge could happen? the Ethereum merge could happen in uh, in June. And maybe, David, should we back up and just explain what the merge is for, for people who haven't been listening to recent Bankless episodes?
1: Yeah, sure. Okay, Ethereum,
0: currently proof of work,
1: has also always committed to eventually transition to proof of stake. We have the proof of stake chain. That's what the beacon chain is. That's been running since early 2021. Uh, And that thing has just been chugging along, making sure that's totally fine. And one day we will swap out the proof of work and plug in the beacon chain, which is the proof of stake chain to the current execution environment of Ethereum and proof-of-work will go away, and proof-of-stake will replace it. That's the merge. We're merging the chains and stripping out proof-of-work. And so when this actually happens is completely unknown because it's only going to happen when it's ready. It's ready when it's ready, but we get to also observe, because this is an open environment, we get to observe the Ethereum developers and kind of hypothesize about when it might be ready so that's what SuperFizz did uh he's pulled in five different tidbits of information that indicate a strong likelihood of a june merge date the first one being there's a planned difficulty bomb coming in mid-june difficulty bomb is something that's always been in ethereum basically we we plan in the destruction of the chain uh because it forces us to make progress every now and then we have to kick it back uh actually that's been basically ethereum culture since the beginning of time is we just kick it back by having a hard fork it gives us an opportunity to add in new EIPs and stuff like that, and kick back the difficulty bomb. There's a difficulty bomb coming in June, which means we will be hard forking sometime by the by mid June, regardless of the merge or not, because we need to kick back the difficulty bomb. Right, Danny Ryan, who's coordinating the the ETH2, uh, not ETH2, the, the uh, transition from proof of state work Ethereum to proof of stake Ethereum, has signaled that a delay in the bomb is not needed, which means that perhaps. This, the merge can happen before the bomb happens, which happens in the mid-June. Uh, there's also the merge readiness checklist is getting more and more checkboxes in it. Uh, and also there was a, a conversation in the all-core devs call about potentially kicking back uh, some development in the, in the merge by 10 days. And a lot of devs got really picky about that. They didn't like the delay at all. And so devs are getting picky about the date. And last, but definitely not least, the Kiln testnet is actually testing the merge. So we are having test environments for pra- we are practicing the merge The merge is being practiced actively and so barring any significant unforeseen I- issues with all of these little tidbits of data june looks like the most likely candidate for the merge which i'm really yeah. excited about
0: well that's super cool Oops. and uh <gasps> wh- yeah Sorry. yeah i, I mean stop doing to- that <laughs> what would the merge mean david so like, what, what does it mean? You, you talked about the mm-hmm. disappearance of proof of work, mm-hmm. but what does it mean for issuance as well? I think that's part of the story here.
1: Yeah, so people who are staking their ETH on the beacon chain, they're earning a very respectable 4.8% in ETH-denominated yield, not even stablecoin yield, but ETH yield. And then once this uh, roughly 10.5 million ETH out of the roughly 118 million total supply of ETH, once that uh, staked ETH merges with the proof-of-work chain, that yield goes from where it is now at 4.8% to somewhere between 10 to 15%, depending on gas fees. So that is a 2 to 3x in yield on Ether. And so that's a 2 to 3x incent- stronger incentive to stake more ETH. Uh, and so there's going to be a demand to take your ETH perhaps out of the secondary market and to stake it to get that 10 to 15% ETH denominated yield. And at the same time, the new issuance of ether, this is one of, the, one of the best features about proof of stake, the new issuance of ether is dropping by 90%. So currently uh, 12,000 ether is minted per day. To to spend towards proof of work mining, proof of work very, very capital intensive. It takes a lot of money to fund security and proof of work. But post merge, that goes from twelve thousand down to twelve hundred and eighty, so a ninety percent reduction in the ether issuance. But not only a ninety percent reduction, Ryan, but also a hundred percent reduction in operational costs because ETH staking and proof of stake costs nothing after you have an internet connection and a consumer hardware laptop computer a normal computer so we're basically we're going from 12 ether to uh, in daily issuance to 1280 and thousands and thousands of ether in daily cell pressure to cover the operational cost of proof of work down to zero so the big questions that i asked the bankless nation how much more Ether will be staked as a result of the increase in yield, the 2 to 3x in yield? Where will that Ether come from since a lot of the regular selling pressure is going to be eliminated? And what is the price going to do as a result? And all of these answers are likely coming in June because we
0: all get to experience it for ourselves. Yeah. This is, this is definitely the biggest event, uh, the biggest crypto event of 2022. Maybe the I, would biggest... ever. Uh, right? I, I would say I ever. Right? I would say Ever. It's like, it's like, um, it's a triple happening. Other, than
1: the, other than the, the Genesis block of Ethereum itself, this is the most significant event since that.
0: Right. And so this is now, now we've got a uh, bullish David back, I think for, <laughs> for, for, for the Plus moment as the one to the bullish the side. We got three for the bear. We got one for the bull. Well, I mean, this is in, incredibly bullish, but there was something that, uh, that happened in the mm-hmm. test net as well. There was a, a block proposal failure, some yeah. bug in the kiln test net. So, that could set things back, possibly. That's possibly. a question to you. Mm-hmm. What happened with this bug, and um, you know, what, what does that mean for the merge date?
1: Yeah. At the start of the the article, I said, barring any significant unforeseen issue, it's increasingly likely that we see the merge in June. And then three days later, there was a bug in the testnet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what happened was that the uh, Prism client, uh, the, way, the way that the merge works is that people have to run both an Ethereum proof of work chain client and, a, and an Ethereum beacon chain client. So Prism is the proof of stake beacon chain client. And then Prism plus Geth and and Prism plus NetherMind, these combinations stopped uh, producing blocks, which accounted for 15 to 20% of the total block supply. Uh, Because Ethereum has a multi-client architecture, this actually did not impact the testnet, but if it had been more than 33%, it would have. So 15 to 20%, kind of dangerously close also prism in its current implementation on the beacon chain has more than 66 percent of total uh, uh total supply of the new blocks So the client that's responsible for more than 66 percent of the blocks so that is a concern we need to get prism dominance in the beacon chain down for that to be safe um the bug was relatively trivially identified and fixed but it perhaps was indicative of more time and research needed to to understand that this thing is going to be stable uh the significance is going to be unpacked and talked about during the Ethereum all-core devs call, which is happening tomorrow, which is today for the listener, Friday. Uh, And so if you want to tune in to whether or not this actually does impact the merge, uh, you can turn into the all-core devs call.
0: Another, um, I guess, reason why we need multiple clients, because yeah. this sort of saved the test net in, in this case, but it's also a reason why we need client diversity uh-huh. on, on mainnet as well and staking diversity across multiple clients.
1: Hey, Ryan, can you name me a different blockchain other than Ethereum that has multiple clients? Well, David, I think there's probably none besides That's Ethereum exactly that has multiple right. clients. That's exactly right. That's, Ethereum is the only one with a multi-client <laughs> architecture
0: which is ridiculous. Oh. We're supposed to be decentralized. We've got some more <laughs> trivia here too. And uh, mm-hmm. this is maybe a question for you even though you probably maybe you probably mm-hmm. already know the answer to this. How much newly minted ETH will validators be able to sell after the merge but before the withdrawals hard fork. So, just to set up that question. Newly minted ETH, okay? Not existing stake because I, I'm, I'm fairly uh, certain people know that once they stake their ETH, they can't withdraw it right now until there's a hard fork that adds some withdraw functionality. But we're talking about newly issued ETH. So that's after you stake your ETH, you get some return denominated in ETH, that newly issued ETH. When will you actually be able to sell that newly issued ETH, David? No, no. Do you know the, the answer to that? Wait, no. Oh, actually, the, no, not when will you be able to sell it, but uh, how much, excuse me, newly minted ETH, will validators be able to sell post the merge? So let's say the merge happens in June. After that date in June and July and August, they're receiving new issuance of ETH. Mm-hmm. How much will they be able to sell of that ETH, David? Uh, the answer is zero, rhyme. Yes, the answer is zero. (laughs)
1: Correct. Okay. Ding. So, so, ding. So, just to just to unpack that a little bit. Right now, you can go stake your ether on the beacon chain. You send your ether to the beacon chain contract. New that ether on the current chain is burned. More in that ether on the beacon chain is minted. You stake that ether. You start earning that ether yield on the beacon chain. Then the merge happens, and then that beacon chain uh, is then securing the Ethereum chain. Proof of work is stripped out. But withdrawals are not yet enabled yet. There is a new, there's another hard fork that needs to happen to enable withdrawals. And that's hypothesized to be roughly six months after. So after the merge, the ETH issuance into the validators won't be withdrawal, withdrawable for six months, which means zero new ether will be introduced into the
0: market for like six months after the merge. Zero. What we're we're saying is, to be clear, ETH issuance doesn't just drop by 90%. It drops to 100% temporarily for some period of time, for some period of time and that that like additional 10% issuance is almost like it's it's almost like vested. It's mm-hmm. locked up. Yeah. It cannot be sold, cannot be spent. Mm-hmm. So we're actually going from like 4.25% 4.5% issuance mm-hmm. to 0% issuance right. for at least 6 months plus plus the burn. And, <laughs> plus the burn. <laughs> okay but then the but hell? then, why, devil's why are advocate. More people talking about this well oh, devil's advocate
1: though because like we're we okay. just we're just locking locking up the rewards for six months while we just make sure that everything's okay and eventually it'll get unlocked and then and then you might say like well then there's just pent-up demand to sell because they've just been earning all this eth for six months and they're just going to sell it all at once but the thing is Eth staking goes up to ten to fifteen percent, and so all of the people that are have their ether on the main Ethereum chain that never decided to bridge over to the Beacon chain, and they because they never wanted to spin up an ETH one validator, that ten to fifteen percent is going to cause a huge influx of more stake for people to get that yield, and so. Not only is zero net new Ether going to come into existence, the gravitational pull of 10 to 15% ETH-denominated yield is going to pull in so much more, more ETH. In. So even when the, hard, the withdrawals hard fork is enabled, the incentive to still be staking is going to be so strong, I could totally see that that just becoming a non-event in terms of the ETH price and dumping on the secondary supply.
0: Look... Uh, supply crunch supply is what crunch. this means. A yeah. massive supply crunch is happening this year and uh, I'm uh, I'm really shocked that more people aren't talking about it. Um, you heard it, you that's heard it here. For you.
1: you heard it here. Now,
0: that's going to happen potentially in the midst of this like crab sideways crypto bear market. World War Three, <laughs> Right? Like, who knows? So, it's going to happen in, in that context. It's not necessarily going to happen during like hype season of, right. uh, you know, early spring 2021. Uh, so we will see how that plays out. Uh, Pool continuing to add more features and functionality here. They have a new uh, staking interface with a bunch of improvements, including a wallet panel, transaction estimates, more intuitive uh, exchange rates on the RETH, and a lot more. So go check that out. There's all sorts of great um, staking services, uh, as well. If if you don't want to run your own validator, Rocket Pool being probably one of the the most decentralized. Lido being Certainly. another one that's a little less uh decentralized, but is still doing better than than staking in exchange. And you 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 gave this tweet. You you put out this tweet, David. The drum wolf r- roll for the merge has begun. Is that what you heard this week? Was it the drum roll? Yeah, especially in the second half
1: of the week, so it's just like people are just. The, the merge is getting a bunch of engagement on Twitter. That seems to be, in my mind, like the thing that has captured the attention of people as, as the, the, NF, the attention from the NFTs and gaming and all that stuff is gone. People have refocused on the fundamentals of this industry, which are is the merge. Uh, so the drum roll is, I mean, we're three plus months out, but like the merge is here. The merge is the
0: drum roll is happening. And when you say when you say people, we're talk we're talking primarily about crypto people, like crypto, crypto people, Twitter yeah. people. None of this is broken outside into yeah. mainstream yet. I mean, right? honestly,
1: like, most of the crypto industry doesn't even understand this.
0: <laughs> I, I I totally
1: agree with that. Yeah. At least they're talking about it now. The drum roll for the merge is definitely started, at least with the inner circle of Ethereum people who really, really pay attention to this stuff, and and then also the people that pay attention to that. But we got three months to go. There's going to be a lot of conversations. There's going to be a lot of content. We're Bankless is going to report on all of it, uh, and it's just, I think it's going to be a very, very fun time, Ryan, because uh, I think I think it's E season. I think E season has, has started once again, uh, and it's been it's my favorite season, uh, and we're going to talk about every step of the way until the merge.
0: Yeah, what well, we didn't tell you, it's not only merge uh, week, but this week lasts many months, right? <laughs> so <laughs> the next few months, we're going to be talking about the merge. It's just a, a huge inevitability. deal. Mm-hmm. And inevitability. And most people in crypto do not appreciate this. I think this is a massive alpha for you. Whether it's a bear market or a bull market in crypto, this mm-hmm. is a massive event to watch. Um, let's talk about L2s for a minute and the path to roll up decentralization. So something that not everyone knows uh, is that every major layer two project right now, anyway, in its current state has a trusted party which can execute protocol upgrades, right? and That is intentional. There's a backdoor to upgrade these layer twos in the event of a bug. And some layer twos have already used this to patch things before, like, before there was a catastrophic issue. And so this is sort of a feature at this stage, not a bug. But if it persists into the future forever, then it becomes a bug. Because as long as there is a trusted third party that can execute protocol updates, the layer two is not completely decentralized. So the Optimism team wrote a fantastic post about how rollups. Move forward. How they decentralize over time. How they get rid of these access keys. They um, they use the analogy of like throwing the ring into Mountain Doom, throwing the keys into Mount Doom, so it would be burnt up and and no one could access it before uh, any longer. And the chain would be fully decentralized. Um, what would you say is the path? Not just for optimism here, but like optimism summary on what rollups need to do in order to get rid of this security hole in the future after they harden their chain what's the path to to making the roll-ups fully decentralized with no you know upgrade access for the core team no, yeah no
1: trust no centralization right uh, earlier i talked about uh how optimism strategy has always been evm equivalents not just evm compatibility but evm equivalence. uh and there's also been like the narrative just like evm is kind of at the center of the universe you know avalanche Uh, all these EVM-compatible chains, they're not Ethereum, but they are the EVM. Uh, And so EVM equivalence is really, really important. And so basically, Optimism, I think, is going to take a leaf out of Ethereum's book, of which it is a fractal off of, and kind of follow the Ethereum roadmap for decentralization. And that involves, uh, rather than having one canonical client for Optimism, having many, many clients for Optimism. And then then, then after enough uh, sufficient multi-client architecture gets built out, then it's just a matter of handing over, like first off calcifying in the same way that Ethereum is slowly, slowly having longer and longer hard force and longer and longer updates. Uh, the same kind of thing needs to happen with Optimism L2s, uh, where just like things need to change less and less and less over time and give more and more power back to the community i think it's going to be interesting to see if like optimism or optimistic l2s retain some sort of upgradable path via the token via on-chain governance in ways that ethereum does not but each the the nice thing is is that you could spin up an optimism layer two and have one with on-chain governance and one without uh but the idea is that ethereum itself has kind of laid out the the roadmap to how you decentralize uh and layer twos probably are going to just have to take a leaf out of ethereum's book and follow in that path
0: yeah, there's no shortcuts to this. I think it's the main message. But th- there is there is a pattern, right? It's like you have to ossify the underlying protocol. You have to have multiple clients, make it decentralized. You have to create sort of a you know specification that other teams can build towards. So that's one, not just one unified team. And once these things are in place, then you can toss those private keys into Mount Doom, into the into the lava and, and burn them forever. But doing it before then is um, not a good idea, right? Yeah. We need that flexibility, we need that upgrade path so that we can solve these processes. Like all of these layer twos are basically in a, a beta version uh, until that time. Um, let's talk a bit more about Optimism. So they are releasing Canon, which is a uh, next-gen fraud-proof architecture that's coming soon. What is uh, What does that mean, next-gen fraud-proof architecture?
1: Yeah, the, the, fault, the fault-proof uh, architecture is is one of the Optimism's big missing components, which is no longer missing because they released Canon. Uh, and this particular fault-proof implementation, the way that it's designed, is a reflection of the Optimism's design philosophy. And I talk about this design philosophy kind of summarized in a, in a tweet where I say... Optimism's design philosophy has always been reduce, reduce, reduce. And what I really mean by that is reduce complexity, reduce the number of codes, and that optimizes optionality. When you reduce complexity, you can actually push complexity elsewhere. Uh, And so kind of like Ethereum itself, optimism is very modular, as in this uh, Canon uh, fault proof is a modular component of the greater optimism layer two. Uh, and so this simplicity optimizes for modularity and efficiency, which ultimately creates security. Uh, and uh, one of the hot lines in this article is, oh, it also enables the theoretical minimum of call data gas costs, uh, which is you know music to my ears when it comes to speed and, and uh, gas efficiency on, on layer two. Uh, and so if you are if you are technically minded and want to hear more about Optimism's fault proof Canon architecture. Uh, you can go click the link in the show notes for more details.
0: Reduce, reduce, reduce. This is also a leaf out of Ethereum's book, where mm. there's you know so many efforts to reduce the the Beacon Chain specification to right. the minimum amount of code necessary. Exactly. Uh, it's definitely important on this journey as well. Uh, so is getting exchanges to on-ramp and off-ramp to your Layer Two and Huobi Global they just added optimism, withdrawal functionality and features. So this is a path that all roll-ups are going to take. Uh, and uh, it's cool to see uh, optimism like leading the way down that path too. All right, David, let's talk about the biggest acquisition in NFT history. The apes bought the punks, David. I don't know how you feel about that. I'm looking at a punk in your background uh-huh. mm-hmm. right now, but Yuga Labs purchased all of the intellectual property, I believe from um, from Labs. the CryptoPunks holders, yeah. uh, Larva Labs. Mm-hmm. Yuga and Larva, they, they purchased all the intellectual property from Larva Labs. Tell us what this means. So what is this purchase? What's the significance of it? And uh, what does it mean for the NFT ecosystem mm-hmm. and for the, the, the Punks and the um, Bored Apes community?
1: Yeah, Carly Riley over at Overpriced JPEGs tweeted out a few months ago. I wonder when uh, NFT uh, companies or NFT studios are going to start buying the IP from other NFT companies or other NFT studios. And I'm pretty sure when she tweeted that, she meant like, you know, some of the B list NFTs, not necessarily the. Board ape yacht club founders buying CryptoPunks, the OG NFT. So the magnitude of this is absolutely crazy, uh, and not and not just CryptoPunks, but also MeBits, which also came out of Larva Labs. Uh, and so for every NFT project, there is IP associated with it. Uh, there's licenses uh, and the CryptoPunks again, the one I have in, in the back of my back of my living room here. The the IP for CryptoPunk was actually not owned by the owners of the CryptoPunks. It was still owned by Lava Labs. So like commercial licenses was not something that you could do with CryptoPunks. That was actually one of the reasons that was always been the case behind Bored Apes is that the Bored Ape holders had the rights to use their own Bored Ape commercially if they so choose. This is this is Creative Commons Open or CECO, I believe is, is what that's called. Uh, but double check me on that. Um, and so now Yuga Labs, which are the founders behind Bored Apes and Mutant Apes and that whole ecosystem, uh, struck a deal with Larva Labs to acquire the IP. And when they did, they gave the punk holders the rights to their own commercial licenses for their punk. So I can start start going out and making merch and branding out of my CryptoPunk if I so choose. Uh, like I already have a brand around me and my CryptoPunk because I put my CryptoPunk as my profile picture on Twitter. But now I could go and start making like, I don't know, A movie where my CryptoPunk is featured, if I so choose, and I would have my own commercial rights to that. Why didn't Larva Labs do that? Why have been holding it? That's a good question. I don't... Larva Labs has always been uh, builders and not necessarily marketers. They like on-chain experiments. They like fooling around on the blockchain, doing cool, innovative new things. Like I said, they weren't just the founders of CryptoPunks. They also did MeVits. They also did Autoglyphs. They are tinkerers and innovators at the chain level where Yuga Labs are brand experts and, and just like... Experts in growing the the value of an ecosystem, and that's just something that Larva Labs was never really interested in. So some punk holders are a little bit concerned because the climate and culture in Board Apes is nothing like the culture around CryptoPunks. Uh, CryptoPunks kind of think the Board Apes are kind of cringe, and I'm definitely one of those people. Um, but uh, but and so like people are worried that Yuga Labs is going to give CryptoPunks the same treatment that they gave the Board Apes, like you know, yachts and things of that nature that are kind of against the CryptoPunk ethos. Like, it's really actually hard to tie down CryptoPunks. They're, they're very, very decentralized. Different cultures. Different cultures, yeah. Uh, and so the, some of the punk holders are concerned about that, as in we don't need this company to promote the brand of the CryptoPunks. The pr- CryptoPunks brand has always been about promoting itself. Uh, like, we don't need help, we're CryptoPunks. punks, I and mean, we don't even
0: want help. Um, but... But can in- I... But can I ask you this? Mm-hmm. This this part doesn't make sense to me. It's like, it feels... Look, I'm an, kind of an outsider, not part of either mm-hmm. of these communities, so I'm just looking at it. But it feels a little bit like Larva Labs is just doing this as a cash grab. Like, why couldn't they have just given CryptoPunk uh, owners Creative Commons license and, like, be done with it? Why did they have to sell to Yuga Labs all of this IP and all of these punks? Like, I'm wondering if some members of the, the CryptoPunk community feel a little bit... Um, I don't know if "betrayed" mm-hmm. is the the right word, but maybe "rug pulled."
1: Um, well, so the, it wasn't the acquisition of the IP that I think was. That's only one part of the story. I think actually the bigger part of the acquisition is actually buying the treasury assets of Larva Labs, which was mm. four hundred and twenty three CryptoPunks, and you know with a sixty ETH floor, that's a lot of value, and seven over seventeen hundred me bits. Uh, and so I, it was a package deal, right? Like we'll buy your CryptoPunks, we'll buy your MeBits, and give us the IP and we'll, we'll make a deal. I don't know how much like I think I think the Larva Labs just wants to kind of sunset their responsibility over the CryptoPunks because they weren't really using that to do anything to begin with. Uh, and so I don't know. I don't I don't think rug pulled is, is the right descriptor. I think it was just like a passing of the baton passing of the torch onto I a new it. a new steward of the brand. Um and that's kind of where the cryptopunk side of the community kind of is like fearful, like they don't want a steward of the brand. The brand is its own steward. It does itself as a headless brand. Uh, and so putting a head on the brand is kind of anti-cryptopunk culture. I'm optimistic in the mirror post from Yuga Labs, they definitely addressed how They have no intention of just giving the CryptoPunks the the Bored Apes treatment uh, and that they will listen to the community before they take any action. So I'm optimistic about the outcome of this. I kind of think that the CryptoPunks get the best of both worlds. They both get to have their headless brand that many, many CryptoPunks will just give the middle finger finger to Yuga Labs. And Yuga Labs will still have the incentive to promote the CryptoPunk brand. So long as they don't do it in any cringe way, like, in my, like how they kind of did with Bored Apes, in my opinion, uh, then <laughs> I think we're good here.
0: I think we're good here. Res- respect the culture, but as a punk holder, you feel you're o- cautiously optimistic about I'm it. cautiously like. optimistic. I think that's a great way to put it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some takeaways from uh, William Pister. you guys over. Now, Yuga Labs now has five of the top 20 NFT projects. Crazy. So they are an absolutely massive Crazy. player and brand holder in the NFT space. Um, Larva Labs is going to continue on with Web3 projects. You said they're kind of a, a builder hacker house and it looks like they're gonna spin up more uh, Web3 projects in the future. Um, it, it does beg the question of whether Yuga, what they do next, will, will they launch an NFT marketplace for mm-hmm. instance, right? Then they have the brands, do they go like, start being vertically integrated and become sort of an OpenSea type of offering, get into the exchange business. Um, there's also some chatter about uh, acquisitions Right, so like if if Yuga Labs Bored Apes can basically buy CryptoPunks, then that also means somebody can buy Bored Apes, right? Buy mm. all of that IP. So who's next? Do the corporate behemoths enter the fray? Does like Disney go and buy an NFT project? Maybe they are the future owners mm. of Yuga Labs. Uh, they they I don't think the, the Board Apes is the right culture for Disney. <laughs> uh so but maybe it's someone else right it's like like the, the idea of these things being acquired and purchased is sort of entered the conversation uh as well um when token that's what we'll get to in a second yeah, it feels right. like there's a we got the answer token to that conversation <laughs> play to earn games some other things as well but let's talk about the token really quick so there was talk to- there's an ape token get me up to speed on that david i haven't honestly been paying attention too much to uh to the ape coin what's going on there
1: yeah, so Yuga Labs minted and airdropped ApeCoin, I believe as of this, mo- uh, as of this morning, and ApeCoin is, according to uh, them, a token for culture, gaming, and commerce used to empower a decentralized community building at the forefront of Web3. Uh, some people have the, the negative take on this is like a token for culture, gaming, and commerce. Like, these things that are supposed to be unlocked by having the token. was not that what, like, the apes themselves were supposed to be? Uh, uh, But, you know, to each their own. This is putting a currency into an NFT world. So now we have the fungible money currency that's paired with the holders of the ape tokens that got all the money. So what they're going to be doing with the ERC-20 token, I don't know, but you would imagine some sort of just, like, economy is growing this is now like the nation of the apes um the world the the planet of the apes if you will they have their (laughs) their own identity and their own currency and now they have to build out their world and this this is just for ape
0: holders this isn't across all yuga labs uh, properties just for Um, the apes themselves board
1: apes mutant apes apes. and kennel uh kennel dog Doggy Dog Club—I don't know the name of that one—the dogs that okay. go with the apes. So those three okay, yeah, projects yeah. got the ape coin airdrop in different proportions. Um, got it. Even more critiques came from uh, the supply of t- of the ape token that was given to Yuga Lab, Larb, Yuga Lab founders, because some amount of was reserved for Yuga Lab founders, which is which is typical. But then some amount was also uh, reserved for Board Ape founders, which uh, they're the same thing. So like a little bit of a double dip right there. Um, uh,
0: But uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's still in early days. There's some takes. Here's one from Alexis Ohanian, who's uh, coming on the podcast on Monday, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. What's his take? Despite how bored my ape looks, I'm excited to share that ApeCoin DAO is adopting ApeCoin and that I'm serving on special counsel that will oversee the decisions of the community. So Alexis looks like is getting Mm -hmm. in the fray as a a governor of some sorts. Um, The exchanges are listing... Apecoin as well. They've been very yeah. quick to list. FTX, I got an email from Gemini saying we are now listing Apecoin. So good uh, BD.
1: Good BD from UCAPs. Yeah, from
0: yeah, they can they can execute these brands can execute. And what is this tweet that we're looking at here, David?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. So this was interesting. This has less to do with the actual like airdrop out of Yuga Labs and more with NFTX. And NFTX is like an index for various um, uh, NFT projects. And so NFTX has a bunch of board apes in their vaults. And all of the board apes that NFTX has is claim able. They're able to claim. the the tokens, they're able to claim the airdropped, but no one actually owns them because it's owned by a pool. So what someone did is they took a flash loan to buy the entire vault of all Bored Apes, and then since they owned every single Bored Ape, uh, they claimed every single board Apes from NFTX airdrop uh, and then and then resupplied and sold back to NF, the vault all of the Apes and then paid back their flash loan and was able to claim basically <laughs> a million dollars of the Ape token. So I don't even know if I'm mad, about that, no, I mad about that one. No, this is clever.
0: This is clever. Yeah. Like if uh, NFTX
1: that- didn't think about that, then that's on them.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty clever in some of the downstream effects of these things. Uh, So uh, summarize this for us. Overall, what do you think about the acquisition of punks by the apes and Yuga Labs moving forward?
1: Acquisition of punks by apes, I am neutral to slightly positive on that. Uh, There's a decent chance that it just becomes a nothing burger and crypto punks are crypto punks forever and nothing can really change that. Um, So that's my opinion on that with regards to the airdrop of the issuance of new tokens uh, to generate excitement and to make money goes back to my thesis of how we are in a 2018 part of the crypto cycle where people are just issuing tokens because it's the last last gasp of opportunity to pocket some money before we go into the bear market.
0: There you go. That's the take. That's what happened this week, guys. Um, Let's move on to something else that was in the headlines in the NFT world, which is Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Meta, formerly Facebook, just confirmed rumors that Instagram... We'll get into the nft game in a matter of months i believe so nothing specific to announce other than instagram is coming to nfts that's a big deal it's like we all suspected it but i do see this as um, some zuckerberg capitulation now i don't know what nft platform he's going to deploy it on but how could he not do something on ethereum he can't at this point in time spin up his own facebook chain and start issuing NFTs there, right? So it's got to be with some of the existing platforms. And if that's the case, David, we're winning, man. Like we mm-hmm. got a, the biggest social media uh, conglomerate in the world now using NFTs as digi- digital property on its social media platform. And I think that's fantastic. We'll see what Instagram does with it, but look we've seen moves with you know TikTok, We've seen Twitter get in the NFT space. Uh, we knew Instagram was coming. And uh, it looks like they're they're coming in the next few months. Zuckerberg has just confirmed it. If only DM had worked out, they'd be able to do this natively versus their their own blockchain. But nope. nope. Yep, that's right. Nope. Uh, that's right. And bend, bend the knee, Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> Regulation talk. Let's oh talk boy. about a few things. We'll be real quick though. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so we have said for a while Congress has got to do something to rein in the SEC and Gary Gensler. In, in fact, we talked to Representative Tom Emmer on about the Bankless this. podcast yeah. about that. We're like, come get your boy. Come you know, get Gensler's, your Gensler. <laughs> Gensler is all over the place, rogue. Um, unhinged. Gone a, a little bit rogue on, you know, in crypto and it's 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 unclear how much of like how much actual authority enforcement authority he he actually has in the SEC versus what he's actually doing. And this is a letter from Representative Tom Emmer and uh, to Gary Gensler and a whole bunch of other representatives. It says this, my office, that's Tom Emmer speaking, has received numerous tips from crypto and blockchain firms that SEC chair Gary Gensler's informational reporting requests, and quotations, to the crypto community are overburdensome and don't feel particularly voluntary. And... They are stifling innovation. So Representative Tom Emmer and company querying the SEC, asking what authority they actually have over the crypto industry, and maybe attempting to rein the SEC in somewhat. Uh, good job. Mm-hmm. That's what Congress should be doing. Right. That's what our legislative branch should be doing, the executive branch. It, like The executive branch enforces laws. Okay, mm-hmm. They don't make laws. Right. And when they get into the the mode of, of, of making laws and you know, cr- crossing boundaries and being authoritarian, uh, yeah, exercising authority where they don't have it, that's when Congress needs to pull them in. And generally, Congress hasn't done very much. Mm. But now here's Representative Tom Emmer starting to do something great to see. This is just
1: like, uh, I think the great, a great summary for this is that this is like when the teacher sends a, a note home with the kid to the parent. Like, you had to get Tom Emmer to write a note
0: to about, about Gensler and the SEC to calm the F down and back off. <laughs> that's, really, that's really the message and kind of what we want. Let's not stifle innovation, guys. Yep. Um, some more good news on the regulatory front. The EU just voted down an anti-proof-of-work clause. Mm-hmm. So this was the econ committee, of the EU parliament, there was uh, some legislative action to actually ban proof of work, ban proof of work.
1: Didn't even know that that was happening.
0: Right. So this, this was happening. I'm not sure how enforceable it is. I don't know all the details of, of how this worked, but that was kind of on the periphery. Well, it just got voted down. 32 against, 24 in favor. So this is P- Patrick Hansen on, on Twitter saying, a big relief and political success for the Bitcoin and crypto community in the EU. Proof of work uh, is not it's being- allowed. It's allowed. Cool. <laughs> as, as it was before. As it, it's as not it disallowed.
1: Was uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, it does
1: indicate the headwinds that proof of work as an industry has. Um, I don't think you're going to see proof of stake having to fight these battles.
0: Right, uh, and you understand some of the concerns about you know, energy consumption, but right. um, proof of work has been sort of maligned, and I don't think given a you know fair treatment either. Right. Totally. Um, this is a headline too: Saudi Arabia considering uh, considers accepting the yuan instead of dollars for Ruh-roh. Chinese oil sales. Ruh-roh. Right, yeah, this is coming on the heels of sanctioning an entire
1: central bank. All of a sudden, a bunch of countries get scared about having the dollar ha- allow allowing the dollar to have so much power. Uh, So this is kind of the after effects of the the pushback from our sanctioning of Russia. All of a sudden, the rest of the world sees like, oh, look what accidental powers we gave the United States government and Federal Reserve. Um, They can freeze all of our money. So now they are looking to the digital yuan or the yuan in general instead of dollars to process trade, which is bearish for the dollar.
0: Yeah, I do think this is the beginning of the end for the, uh, the dollar supremacy as the world reserve currency on the back of these sanctions. Whether you agree with the sanctions or not, you, you've got to acknowledge that there are some, uh, some trade-offs here and some downstream effects. Yep. Um, let's talk about uh, South Korea for a second, as we're spinning around the world today mm-hmm. in the regulatory news. Yeah, so, let,
1: let me take this one, Ryan. Uh, two, yeah. two candidates were running for president of South Korea. Both candidates were pro-crypto, therefore the pro-crypto candidate <laughs> won. Uh, and apparently both candidates were using crypto as a way to onboard votes from the younger generations. So crypto
0: society growing in South Korea. You'll love to see it. That's awesome. It's all good news on the regulatory front. A16Z, they just appointed a treasury official as their head of regulatory. Um, in person. Yep. Uh, What's this? Coming out of Ukraine.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ukraine signed a new crypto regulation law. This new law appoints that agencies will regulate the markets and establish rules around virtual asset ownership rights, among other things. Uh, According to a statement out of Ukraine officials, Ukraine and foreign-based cryptocurrency exchanges will be allowed to operate and banks will be able to open accounts for crypto companies. So crypto giving the big thumbs up out of Ukraine. Um, you know, when crypto comes and saves the day for your country, you generally tend to be favorable to it.
0: Absolutely. Um, the last thing is- One bad gotta thing. got to mention, yeah, the DEX aggregator Matcha, they just geo-blocked trades coming out of Russia. This is sanctions you know filtering down into crypto territory, this time on the DeFi side of things. DeFi aggregator Matcha now geo-blocking trades from Russia. Um, One inch is also Mm geo-blocking everyone in the US, for example. So this isn't new, but the aggregator layer seems to be a a choke point for sanctions and censorship. And I bet we'll see more of that in the future. That's ironic. I actually forgot that one inch was geo-blocking the United States because they're out of Russia and Masha's out of the US and they're blocking Russians. Everyone's getting blocked. <laughs> oh God! I think they. I think I think they're blocking the U.S. Uh, due to SEC sorts yeah, of that's concerns. Right. that's right. Um, and this is not SEC. This is just kind of OFAC sanctions right. type of thing. But it's right. you know all but kind of the same same rhythm. Way. way, guys, we will be right back with the takes of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. All right, guys, we're back with the takes of the week. Here you go. First take: Some ponzi's are scams. Others are the basis of human society. Well, that's quite a contrast. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we use the Ponzi word a lot at times here on Bankless,
1: and that's because of how this tweet is right, in our opinion. I, I think I can speak for you, Ryan, when you agree totally with this Totally agree, tweet. Yeah. 100%. Sometimes people are like, you guys use the Ponzi word way too much. No. Ponzi games, you don't use are, it enough. You don't use <laughs> it enough. Yeah. Every, everything is based on the fact that other people value the same thing, which is the basis for human shared interest psyche value. Uh, so yeah, some Ponzi's are you, somebody's going to dump on you and then buy the more sustainable Ponzi, but it's Ponzi's all the way down. It I, is, I just enjoy this take.
0: You know, Ponzi's are a coordination game, and the book that taught me that really more than anything else was Yuval Harari's book yep. *Sapiens*. Sapiens. Yep. Yeah, it's it, basically the thesis is all of humanity, all of our civilization, all of our coordination technology. The reason we can do things that the animal kingdom can't is because of shared myths, stories. Shared
1: stories, yeah.
0: Ponzi's are an outcome of these shared stories and shared myths. In fact, they're a result of it. And so Ponzi's are actually our coordination technology. That doesn't mean Ponzi scheme. doesn't mean right. Bernie Madoff. That's mm-hmm. not what we're talking about. Uh, anyway. A Ponzi once scheme you understand is telling that,
1: people a story that's not actually true.
0: I just, I I feel like this is a a fundamental um, education block in like in crypto. You have to, you almost have to understand this before you understand Bitcoin and like the rest of the monetary phenomenon and everything that's going on. So that's why we're emphasizing it. Money
1: is a gigantic Ponzi that doesn't (laughs) pop. Good monies are Ponzi's (laughs) that don't pop.
0: All right, next take, DC investor take. What is he saying here, David.
1: I am done building identities and brands which corporations can buy and sell without paying me. And for me to go, to be expected to go along with the ride because my identity is attached to them from now on will only feature art by independent artists and create CCO PFPs on this account. So this is in reaction to Yuga Labs buying the CryptoPunks IP from Larva Labs. And DC Investor is saying he only likes NFTs where he is the, uh, the sole owner of the IP. And because he doesn't want, you know, uh, centralized companies buying the IP of an NFT profile picture that he he rocks. So I will note point out that DC Investor now has an MFR as his profile picture uh, because uh, Sartoshi and the MFers are CCO and they give complete ownership rights of the IP towards the owners of the NFT. So that's pretty so cool. So is
0: is DC an uh, example of somebody who is maybe not so happy? Yes. A punk holder that is not right. so happy about yes. this Uga Labs initiative. Yes.
1: He is cautiously pessimistic. I will say where I'm cautiously optimistic.
0: Are there, are there some people in the crypto punk community who are just like ballistic angry? I'm selling all my punks kind of thing.
1: Um, I saw Have one tweet about that? that. Uh, but no, I haven't seen more than that.
0: Interesting. I'm really, you know, enjoying seeing that, uh, that play out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, It's just interesting then, to see that play out. He, he says more on the CCO thing. Should we read that too?
1: Yeah, clarifying my thoughts on CCO. CCO doesn't mean it's a better NFT. There's lots, lots of garbage CCO NFTs. It's also possible some corporate administered NFTs outperforms for many reasons. I simply pr- to prefer to participate in communities where they can't sell my participation to others. So, some
0: hey, takes. DC. Some takes. Uh, indie. He's an indie NFT holder. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this. Uh, your take. The narrative around ETH has evolved beyond my wildest dreams. That's mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that. You're quote tweeting this consensus tweet mm-hmm. that says all proceeds from the round, this is the massive round that consensus just raised. Um, yeah, 450 million. Is that yep. how much it was? Yep. To further build consensus. Uh, the, the, the funds from the round will be converted to ETH to further build consensus ultrasound money position. Ultrasound money position. <laughs> you love to see it. You'll love to see it. In
1: order to rebalance its ETH to fiat ratio in line with Consensus's treasury strategy. So consensus, picking a new unit of account to measure wealth in and they're naming that mu- unit of account ultrasound money this was Ooh. infeasible Wonder where they in got that from yeah where did they get yeah. that from well the
0: podcast wasn't even out like yeah. at this time last year it just came out so yeah. it wasn't feasible does this mean um, that
1: 450 million dollars of eth buy pressure is coming i don't know it should it's, be it's what the tweet says
0: you got to buy it back consensus <laughs> buy what you sold at 80 yeah. um this is my take you want to read it the more you know, the less you diversify.
1: Ryan Sean Adams.
0: Yeah, that's that mean, it. That's that's the take, man. <laughs> I, the take. I, I feel like um, this is true for my own investment strategy. Like The more I know about a particular asset, the more conviction I have about a particular asset, the less I care about diversifying. Right. And I right. do think that conviction holds concentrated portfolio positions are the real way to build long-term wealth. Mm-hmm. I, I see so many people... Uh, enter crypto when they don't really know what they're buying and they'll do like a a shotgun scattershot approach just like get a little bit of this a little bit of this and some youtuber recommended this now i'm getting this uh and um i i think that's because they don't know enough i don't think like it's and i find that in myself too like i don't know very much like i i don't look at individual equities very often Mm -hmm. so if i ever participate in equities guess what i'm buying Mm -hmm. s&p 500 Mm -hmm. right yeah. But I don't participate in equities because I know about crypto. Mm-hmm. And the more I know about crypto, the less I want to diversify out of crypto as an asset class. <laughs> <laughs> so it also holds true from an asset class category. It's like I, crypto is going to be the future. It's like it's it's so obvious to me. Why would I hold my wealth in anything other than crypto? Like right. I don't feel like I need to diversify. I mean, have some safety nets for sure. But like right. like have a house, have, right. you know, some stable coins have some yeah. dry powder, but like, I'm, I'm not diversifying <laughs> out of crypto, man. It's like all in crypto. You anyway. know what rhymes with diversification? What? what? Capitulation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, right. Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, some people, when I tweeted this out, some people made the point that, um, you know, a whole lot of people delude themselves on this too and sure. get burnt, right. right? Yeah. And I, mean, I do you're, think You're that-
1: rewarded if you're right and you're punished if you're wrong.
0: Why not? Why not live life like that? All right. So uh, you have a take on my take, though. What is it? Yeah, I think this is a great way to illustrate the difference in our dispositions as
1: individuals, where Ryan Sean Adams very politely says, the more you know, the less you diversify. And I just quote tweet him. I say, here's what he really means. He means diversification is for the weak. (laughs) Have a spine, folks. Believe in yourself.
0: I I, I guess that is what I mean, David. Uh, (laughs) You put it very succinctly as well. (laughs) All right, man,
1: what are you excited about this week? Oh, God, Ryan, I am just excited for ETH season. Uh, If we indeed are going into the bear market, uh, then at least it will be ETH season along the way. Uh, It'll be the one entertaining, the one bright spot on the horizon uh, of what is just like a crazy, crazy macro environment with, with, you know, the potential R word coming. Or none of that happens. And it's still ETH season. Either
0: way, it's ETH season, so I'm excited either do, way. Do you mean you're, you're happy to hold on to ETH as if it's going down, as long as it's going down right. um, less relative relative to the rest of crypto? Sure, yeah, that mm-hmm. would make you fine. That, that's about fine right. With you. Yeah,
1: but but also <laughs> just like ETH season means more than just like price price action, but ETH price build season. First. Yeah, it's build season. It's like, let's re- let's come back to our fundamentals. Let's come back yeah. to what's real. Let's get rid of the noise. Uh, let's talk about my favorite topic ever, which is ultrasound money. Like that, that yeah. we're just, this is when the crypto Twitter discourse is talking about the thing that I care about other than some ridiculous <laughs> NFT Ponzi scheme or play-driven game or whatever.
0: But yeah, I, I hear you. That'll be actually be refreshing You're no matter refreshing. what the price is doing at that point <laughs> yeah. in, in time. It's like we're shipping stuff for the future that matters a lot, right? Like the merge right. is going to be absolutely massive. The big, yeah. biggest fundamental event, it, you, prices aside, who cares yeah. about prices? I mean, right. this is history. So. Well, I care a little bit about prices. Well, we I do, we wrong. do. <laughs> yeah. we, All right, we, Ryan, are we are do care about? a lot. Uh, I'm excited about the token frame I have mm. behind me. Mm-hmm. So uh, the folks at token frame sent me one of these. It's pretty awesome. I, um you know, look, I'm new to the NFT scene. Okay. Like mm. I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing with it, but this is a, a digital frame. First one I've ever tried. And, uh, I really like how it works. So what's cool about this is, um, you actually connect MetaMask mm. and they're verified NFTs, right? So this is not just a JPEG or a screenshot. It's actually pulling my uh, cool cat from my portfolio. Mm. It's also cool is uh, I can change it around like, right. So like I could, uh, I'm about to get your turtle or your MFR. if I want to, if I want to change, boom. (laughs) Wow. That actually is pretty cool. From cat to turtle. That's pretty cool. Just like that. Uh, I'm still, you know, learning. I also would like to remove the cord. I think Mm -hmm. I have to like poke a hole in the wall, do some more work and like Mm -hmm. put the cord behind it. But, uh, it's cool, man. Physical meets digital. Um, it's been fun. I think it'd be super. Can you go back to your cat? I think it'd be super funny if you dress
1: up as your cat one day. Kind of like how we did with, with Halloween. Yeah, but like, you know, looks <laughs> like a red flannel,
0: a white t-shirt, a bull cap. And what, what, uh, <laughs> what else is there? That,
1: that's, that's it. That'd be, a, that'd be a good look. It'd be a good look.
0: Yeah, well, I'm holding my cat. I'm holding my turtles, you know. I don't know. Uh, do you ever sell NFTs, David? Do you flip NFTs? Or are you just all uh, always you, buying?
1: You, when I buy, sometimes I buy one and the hype just doesn't sustain itself. And then I just kind of see it on its trend to zero. So I'll sell some of those. Um, but the, the ones that I shill on Twitter... I do not sell based off of principle, so that includes my CryptoPunk, my MFers. Um, are there any others?
0: This is the thing. I don't know how to make oh, money the cat. on the, the on NFTs, David. Because like whenever I buy an NFT, like I don't want to sell it anymore. Right i get attached to it so i'm just like well am i the sucker here right like am i actually (laughs) buying an asset if i'm never gonna sell it for real money you're just buying a noun at that point (laughs) yeah well like you know at some point though maybe nfts get integrated into the broader DeFi economy right you can lend Mm. against it you can borrow against all sorts of things so maybe i won't have to sell and can still still be worth it anyway that's what i'm excited about uh token frame thank you guys for uh for that frame it's awesome uh let's get to meme of the week though meme of the week this is on theme you ready there you go <laughs> it's merge week this is uh the ultrasound
1: money twitter account saying issuance now 15k eth a day issuance at merge 1.5k eth a day uh and then the meme is they don't know they don't it's know that, it's that but dude
0: at the party like sitting in dude the corner at the right yeah but with, with hat, bankless listener dancing. you know because bankless told I you know i you know, know. Yeah. guys you also know none of this has been financial advice Bitcoin is risky, so is ETH, so is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.